0: Welcome to Armchair Producers. This is episode 126, after a very long hiatus. We do apologize for the delay for all of our fans and listeners out there, but we are back and we are ready and raring to go with our standard monotony, as you well expect from the Armchair Producers. Now let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 130, unfortunately having to be titled Spice World because my co-host, the man, the myth, the rage against the machine, Mr. Travis Croft, you hate me, sir, you hate me. Hey, you started this, you chose Naked Lunch. Hey, I was just going off of basically a recommendation of my brother, you knowingly chose this, you took effort to get to this
1: oh i know I, well once i once i um once you choose naked lunch oh you know this is this is personal um <laughs> i fucking hate that movie um and having to watch it again was a real slog uh and the fact that the alternative was of arachnophobia was equally um uh unimpressive so i decided yeah. to do, I did decide to do this deliberately
2: yes.
1: uh, and you know what i stand by my decision it is not the worst thing i've ever seen
0: for those just listening to the audio version, I am flipping him off right now.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, your tears are delicious. Um, yes, I, I know. Agree. They add to your lifespan. I know, I know. <laughs> I am in, I am, in a, I am in, curmudgeon mode tonight, people. So, Oh, okay. Um, We're in for a good show there, ladies get used so I've been forced to watch an hour's worth of Hamilton this evening by a friend who insists I'm going to like it, despite the fact, I mean... You know, a, a multitude of reasons why I'm not particularly mm-hmm. interested in seeing it. I am interested in seeing it live when it comes to Melbourne. I don't know about you, but I feel like stage musicals, you get to see them in their original setting. I feel like they're a little bit more impressive that way than, than on film. I don't know if a film ever really translates to stage musical particularly well. I mean, movie musicals are different. Yeah, The Blues Brothers, for example, a classic. Yeah. It was made to be a film.
3: So yes. Never,
1: I mean, maybe it was a stage show somewhere. I don't know. But um, it was never meant to be. It was not like something like um, *Phantom of the Opera*, right? We didn't, I don't, or *Les Mis*. Not, I don't yeah, exactly. Necessarily translated particularly well to film. The producers was a rare one, I think, that kind of stood out. But then again, that yeah. was a film first, and then it was a musical, and then it was a film musical. So um, exactly. Anyway, so I've had this endure an hour of um. Uh, rapping American, um, you know, founding fathers, and you're just like, oh, God, it's boring.
3: <laughs> and if nothing
1: else, just Americans jerking off about the American Revolution and their founding fathers is just like you know, deeply uninspiring to me as an Australian. I'm sorry to our American listeners. I'm sure they were very nice people.
2: But
3: <laughs> I still
1: don't care.
0: It's It's an area of history that I'm sure... Sh- i'm sure it is interesting and fascinating i have no personal investment or interest in that particular point in time and it's like okay it's got an uphill struggle to begin with but yeah you're absolutely right i it's much like okay we'll go go into a bit of a side topic before all topics i think that never happens What what is the point of translating one thing from one medium to another if you're not going to utilize that to its full potential? Prime example, um, one of the most praised and awarded franchises on PlayStation's um, kind of trophy cabinet is The Last of Us. And we've got a show coming out next year, Um, one of the most expensive shows ever made apparently of The Last of Us. The question that I have is what are they going to do that justifies it being a movie? Because it was such a gripping, well-received by fans and critics alike story. It was narratively perfect for many. What are they going to do where you are not actually the input of everything of every decision that takes place in that game. How are they gonna make it as impactful as a TV show? And I don't think they're gonna be able to. And I wonder if they're gonna fuck it up by trying to over explain more of the backstory stuff where you didn't necessarily need it.
1: Or or I mean, we, we got a hinted on it last week as well, but um mm. Borderlands is doing the same thing. Yeah. Now Borderlands isn't a game that's known for having quite the depth of story or a respect of a game like The Last of Us, but I don't know if you've ever played Borderlands 2, but um, I, I'm hoping that's the story they take because they yeah. had, had a really great story, at least very, at least great characters. Um, okay. um, so it's not quite in, you know, it's not quite, you know, the royalty of video game um, stories, but they're turning into a, a, we talked about it last week. They're turning it into a, um, yeah, for a, a, a live action film where you sort of go, Maybe animation would have made a little bit more sense. Like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all the same, though, like, what about Borderlands, apart from it being popular, says movie with Kate Blanchett in it? <laughs> um, you <laughs> know, um, I mean, I'm going to see it because I'm curious, but like, uh, I, I wonder if it's it was deserving of being translated. Hmm. into into a different medium it's
0: just an interesting topic and because like i've talked about it a few times we when referring to the wheel of time and how they're adapting certain elements of it and bringing different things in because it's a different medium and i think they're doing well i think it's a similar kind of regard to last week's um dune conversation translating such a book like that you can't just do a direct translation and even then What is the point? So I think it's as we get to... We are getting more and more to this oversaturation point of no new ideas in Hollywood or the the TV industry. It's all being adapted from previously existing material
1: beyond, oh, it's quick cash. I would put it... It's actually, if you take a a, a step beyond that, it's, it's the entertainment industry, period, almost where there are hmm. no original ideas. I was just walking down the street the other day in hmm. uh, in Melbourne and I walked past one of the theatres on Exhibition Street
2: hmm. and
1: Frozen is showing there for another couple of weeks. Um, hmm. Frozen, the musical. And I found so myself thinking because about 18 months ago at the start of the um, you know the incident involving the unknown virus of unspecified origin, um, I was walking. I was actually, I got sent home from work later than everybody else. I was probably at work for another three weeks after everyone else in the city got sent home. Hmm. And I was walking down Exhibition Street and I was re- reminded when I was walking past the other day, the last musical I saw in there before the pandemic, well, I didn't go and see it, but was showing in that theatre, was Shrek the Musical. Um
3: yeah, you, you're right.
1: And then up the road at the other theatre, you've got Harry Potter and the Cursed Child or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Like, basically, I think the only musicals in the city right now are based on, you know, uh, existing film properties, you know. Uh, yeah. Up in, up in Sydney, they're opening Jagged Little Pillar musical based on the Alana's Morissette record. That's coming mm. to Melbourne next February. Um, wow. You know, it's almost like now, if you want to make a stage musical, again, back to full circle of the conversation, mm. apart from something like Hamilton, which is, you know, an absolute breakout smash hit from the States, is, you know, mm. going to sell tickets by the bucket load just because of his reputation. Yeah. You have to have your musical based on preferably a film when I mean, we had spider-man the musical a few years ago we had rock even yeah. musical in the states um american idiot the musical based on the green day record um mm-hmm. just off the top of my head i mean yeah. not to mention debbie does dallas the musical one of my personal favorites um and those people at home that is a hundred percent real yes i did go and see that it's very entertaining <laughs> um See and so, now, it's also you know. There's a, there's a scene in the first episode
0: of Hawkeye where he goes to see the musical of Rogers. the Avengers, and it's like,
1: yeah, you know that's in the works somewhere. You know it. Somebody's if Kevin Feige will let it happen, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Endgame musical. I don't know. Um, I don't know how you'd work it, but. <laughs> It did, there wouldn't actually be an audience though because the cast would be so big it would just be everyone sitting there so like oh it's nearly my line <laughs> it, it's, a, it's an original idea for a musical everyone in the audience gets a line um <laughs> and you know and they say i don't like musicals but anyway
0: Look, it, it, i'm sorry it, but
1: the, the audience always has a line if ever you got a pantomime because it's
0: He's behind, behind you. you,
1: and it is a, it is a time of year for pantomimes, of course. Exactly a, a Christmas panto being a a grand British tradition.
0: That was a staple of my Christmas growing up.
1: It's not really is... a thing here. It never really no, translated it... to Australia. I don't think I've ever heard of one in this yeah. country.
0: You, you guys like if I say the name Widow Twanky,
1: you don't know who I'm meaning, do you? Yeah, Widow Twanky. Uh, is she dating a Kardashian? Also, yes. <laughs> no, I think one everyone's, one. Said it, everyone's dating a Kardashian. It's like a line at the Panto. It's, it's like true. A, you you go to the um the uh, federal Kardashian office and get your allocated your Kardashian of the month.
0: Well, I, I saw that they've they've actually increased that now, and it's you use the QR code to sign in, and then you use another QR code to get your
1: um, Kardashian relationship your Kardashian allowance for the month. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, um, but. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not familiar, familiar with Twiggy Twickenham or whatever their name was. Um, Widow
0: Twanky. Just yeah. if, if you want the the most famous, I guess, interpretation of it, just do a Google search, Ian McKellum, Widow Twanky, and you will see him dressed up in drag as the character of Widow Twanky. And it's-, oh, oh, yeah. I,
1: it's, in my, it's on my screen here right now, so... Um... <laughs> uh, I, can, I can share that screen. We, we only yeah, sh- do sh- for... share a
0: picture of Widow Twanky, Twanky because uh, it's,
1: it's just a fun name to say. Um, apparently, that uh, is Widow Twanky. Barry Hunter. Uh, yeah, there've been lots of people who are Widow Twanky. Yeah, uh, I don't know who Barry Hunter is. Um, Neither
0: do I. But um, yeah, it's very much. Uh, it's it's an added
1: character to the Aladdin story. Of course, that's cultural appropriation right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But I, I know what the fam- it's common for famous famous people to be in it. I remember. Yeah. Then uh, to, to cross over to something you're not remotely interested in, the uh, famous cricketer, I think Ian Sir Ian Botham was in a, a Christmas panto at once. Um, okay. So um, I think it's like I mean like neighbors people used to go over and be in Christmas, not necessarily whatever widow twanky is but but famous christmas panto christmas santos
0: fair enough but well,
1: there you um, go at least that's how it's i a remember it. British it, it culture for you there we go welcome back to the british podcast um um <laughs> there you go uh, he was in uh be- beefy in the beanstalk it was called yep that sounds about right yeah quality <laughs> stuff um <laughs> I don't think we have any British content this week, do we? I think it's all um uh yeah all, it's it's, it's, all it's our American all cousins.
0: American American friends, yeah. Um so yeah, as as I said in the in the warm-up, our chain movie of the week was Spice World.
1: Well, what am I talking about? It's as British as it gets.
0: hmm Yeah. It's it's a definite slice
1: of time in Britain. <laughs> uh, <we> have... <laughs> I so... found out today, I read an interesting um, piece of trivia that apparently Billie Eilish didn't realise the Spice Girls were a real band but she thought they were a made-up band for that movie and I'm like, it's surprising how plausible that
0: seems. Yeah, well, should we, should we jump straight into Spice well, World? Well, we're here, we're here. Oh, we're here. Let's, let's talk about Spice World because Spice World very much plays as... Almost like a partner piece in some ways to something like this is Spinal Tap.
1: I think it was shooting for the same type of knowing wink at the audience. Uh, you know, yeah. this is a piss take on Hard Days Night. I mean, see, I've been a long time since I've seen Hard Days Night. That mm. uh, I think it involved then jumping on buses and stuff a little bit as well, and running around being rock stars. If you, <laughs> know, if you don't know, if you don't know Hard Days Night, of course it was. the the movie starring the Beatles. Um, it was actually good. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) so, and I think this film is, uh, an homage to that, uh, an attempted homage. Yes.
0: And which is always dangerous ground to be on because you're either gonna succeed or it's gonna really stink.
1: Well, I think the, the fairness of this, um, this stinks. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it has a 3.6. Oh, oh, fairness. Oh, to be fair, um, uh, <laughs> it has a 3.6 out of 10 and an, yep. a Meta score of 32. Yep. So, um, you know, those ratings give you an idea of what you're mm-hmm. dealing with here. The synopsis, yep. if you, if it is one, I mean, it it's doesn't, you know. So, yeah, you know, sometimes we talk about, we go, but yeah, a Korean family starts a farm and you'd be like, there <laughs> yeah, there's so much more to this film than that. But this yeah. one, somehow there's so much less. Um, world famous pop group The Spice Girls zipper around London in their luxurious double-decker tour bus, having various adventures and performing for their fans. Yep. Uh, this was filmed in 19, or released in 1997, so it's the peak of Spice Girl mania, mm-hmm. girl power movement.
0: Um, well, it interestingly, was-
1: it was six months after the release of this movie that Jerry quit the band. I mean, I don't think anybody was under the impression that they were gonna last a long time. I mean, um, they were a purely confected um pop group who were put together as I wrote If you're spice girls, if there are Spice Girls fans or who were about to correct me on exactly <laughs> on their, what their origin story was. I as I understand it, they were put together by a, a manager or a record company or a pop impresario. Some mm. these girls just didn't meet at school and go, let's start making music like you know, real out of stuff and do Well, stuff.
0: if the movie has anything to be believed, they all used to hang out at a local tea and cafe spot in London. And they were homeless. Though, yeah, and they are homeless, apparently, but didn't really come across as the type no, of like I, I, mean.
1: I don't know. Like, I mean, you're more familiar for homeless types that hang out in Britain. Perhaps they're as well dressed with such good teeth. Um, and excellent well, maker. they are the gentleman homeless, so I can say they are very high class of homeless person in London. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, apparently people thought that was real. I'm like, it was like a real, it was a real origin story. I'm like, then again, you remember this film was probably made for like 12 year olds, so yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. the other thing to think about here, here is that this is the height of cool britannia really i mean oh you know, gosh, yeah. yeah the uh the brit rock revolution blur oasis you know uh damien Hirst, the artist uh yeah. you know it was everything uh, tony blair had just been elected everything yeah, British- it was,
3: it
0: was a, a, a unfathomably hopeful time in britain for change and positivity and it's there, there was this wave of, oh, it's cool to be British. It's be proud of your Britishisms and how multicultural we are and how we open to everyone. Oh,
1: <laughs> timers. Oh, um, uh, Br- Britain, ooh. my sweet summer child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a so, as we sort of noted, this is kind of supposed to be a spoof, I guess, or an homage to mm. films like uh, uh, Spinal Tab, Hard Day's Night of uh, a rock star cliches, the cliches mm. about being a rock star. And I think the cliches about the girls themselves um, in an early scene, they, they, they apparently their bus, their tour bus, which is a British double-decker bus, which has mm-hmm. a giant um, Union Jack painted on the side of each side and a the peace sign on the back um, mm-hmm. is also the TARDIS. I don't know if you notice this, but it's significantly larger on the inside it than is it is on the out. Wh- British architecture being what it is, is. second to none. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some of those British house swapping, house flipper shows, you know. Um, <laughs> um, But so I guess again, it's part of a joke that they've got this tour bus and it's like it's like incredibly opulent inside, in the sense that mm-hmm. each girl has a section.
3: It mm-hmm.
1: is themed to their their spice theme. So Baby mm-hmm. Spice has like a swing set that she. Sits on mm-hmm. inside the um inside the bus, whereas Sporty has uh, an Excellent. exercise bike she kicks around on. Uh, and in an early conversation, they make a joke about how um, Posh, aka Victoria Beckham, uh, only has to she wears the same outfit every time. It's just a little Gucci dress of a little Gucci dress of a little Gucci dress. And you're like, hmm. well, yes, that's not very funny, but I'll pay that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's it's so, I guess, the big nominal plot for what it is mm. is they are uh, building up to a live performance the Royal Albert Hall. Um, it's been their manager is played by the one, the only, and possibly, I think, our favorite actor or up there with, with Sam Rockwell, yeah. Um, you know, um, Ricky Grant, yes. Uh, and mind glorious, he is a glorious, glorious thing. Like, you
0: he? gave me the one l- laugh-out-loud joke of the whole thing. It's just that moment where he's sitting there quiet and he just turns to the documentary cameras and like, okay, here's what happens. The band starts playing. The lights come up. Everyone gets excited. I walk out onto the stage and I hang myself.
1: <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's very dark, would not it? Uh, I- Oh, perfect! And I I actually had it. I had it. I laughed more than three or four times at this film. (laughs) But I can put that. They had. There are some. Here's the surprising thing about the film: there are some extraordinarily talented and funny people involved in this project, and none of them are the Spice Girls. Um, (laughs) David Grant is probably one of the film's few saving graces, apart from his suits, which are fucking spectacular. I am sure. That green suit is where the low-key producers went. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It, um, he,
0: he was super villain
1: level quality. But man. the thing was, he wasn't playing a villain though. He was kind of playing. Awesome. And he had And he had the sideburns and the, the soul patch and the shitty mobile phone and the hair. It was, yeah. it was, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love Richard E. Grant in this film. Mm-hmm. The other extraordinarily talented and funny person in this film who made me laugh on the new a number of occasions was the great Alan Cumming. Who of course guided me to this film by being on a 730 report a couple of weeks ago and apparently he liked working for Spice Girls. Um and he in he, so okay. Richard e. Grant plays the girls manager. Um and Alan Cumming plays a document documentary, and you just mentioned he was filming that scene, mm-hmm. who is following the band around, making a rather ill defined uh documentary about them. He's mm-hmm. gonna get to the truth. But yeah. he's a, um it's a great British role in it's somebody who takes himself incredibly seriously, who is constantly he's a buffoon.
3: Yeah.
1: You know? I mean it's a it's a dollar store Basil faulty basically, you know. Yeah. Um, like he's he's a man, he's, he very holds himself. I'm a very serious artist in this case, or you know, in Basil's case, he's a serious businessman, but he was mm-hmm. a complete fucking idiot and he's constantly mm-hmm. screwing up, and that's that's where the laughs are. Alan Cumming yeah. is a treasure uh, mm. in in this film, and he's a link to one of the other films that I think does what the Spice Girls film was trying to do, but did it a lot better a couple of years later uh, in a Josie and the Pussycats.
0: Oh God, yeah, I've
1: he was—he played I've the seen bad seen. guy in that movie, um, and uh, with a, with another outstanding haircut. Um, but that's an equal sort of again another film that's trying to take. Uh, knowing mm. wink at the audience about popular culture and rock and roll, uh, yeah. cliches in this case, probably more boy band, uh, cliches. Maybe, mm. maybe, I mean, it's 2001 that film, so maybe we're poking fun at the Spice World film, but uh, really? it, 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 that's, that's a hit, that's a hidden treasure, that's mm. a hidden treasure of that film, and it's got a great True. soundtrack. Um, other than I that, we have, if, um, Sorry. part of the reason why
0: something like josie and the pussycats versus um this movie is that difference in quality regardless of whether you know josie and the pussycats is not held high or anything like that but you know probably just looking at their imdb ratings i would imagine that josie has got a Better,
1: a, a nice 5.5 nice. 5. 5 versus a yeah. 3.6, and a 47 versus a 35 minute score. Neither were popular and neither were perfect. Mm. Um, I am an admitted fan of Josie the Pussycats because mm. I, I don't know, I think people missed the jokes.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> uh, at the time, I don't think they got it. Um, I don't know, I, I thought it was again, it's not perfect, but it's amusing. Like, there's so many. I like that wink at the audience kind of film. There's a great mm. line in that film, sorry to go off the spice board for a minute, but Parker Posey. Is in it and she plays a character called fiona and at some point someone says well why are you even here and she goes because i was in the comic books <laughs> um, and, and, and i wonder if a it film that's that meta might mm. have actually worked a little bit better 10 15 years later than than it yeah. did in the early 2000s but, but i'm not saying that film is a masterpiece but compared to spice world
3: mm.
0: And just the the presentation of things as well. I mean, Josie and the Pussycats is not a real band being brought in, so there was not this expectation. It was sort of like, oh, it's an adaptation of this other material. They can get away. They can be a bit more flexible with it. People are not sure how it's going to be interpreted, whereas this is the Spice Girls, and fans of it were maybe expecting something else. Or, you know, they this anything the Spice Girls did, it was never cheap and tacky, and that's half of the jokes in the Spice World movie. Is like the the TV the, the movie producer is talking about this bus jumping over, and they're sort of like, "Oh, that sounds expensive," and then just cuts to it's one of the funny scenes in the movie yeah. where it's just like a Tonka Toy just going over. It's like, no, not necessarily. It, it actually works, but it's a it's kind of a weird deviation of expectation compared to how the Spice Girls were presented throughout their entire career where they were perfect in every way.
1: I spent most, I mean, just to note that that was, that jump was over the tower bridge, right? I think. Yes. And which is neither a tower nor a bridge. Um, so, you know, false advertising Britain, go stand in the corner. Um, <laughs> but uh, I found myself all the way through the film thinking, um, thinking about, you know what? This basically saying, this would be more fun. If um, yes. this and two options, um, well, at least one, this film would have been more fun if it was the Spice Girls travelling around the British countryside in a van solving mysteries, preferably with a dog. Um, <laughs> 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 Wouldn't that have been fun? That would have been fun, right? Just, yes, it would. That and- would have been fun. And
0: able get a few more just comical things. Like no one, I, I'm sorry, no matter who you are, no one thinks of London and goes, oh, yeah, the speedboats on the Thames. No. If, if you're going to make a parody about something that happens, then it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to go out into the middle of the countryside, and they're going to suddenly have a farmer there they're just going, oh, are you just go, going to try and take my cows? Something like that. Those, those quintessential stereotypical English roles, not boats on the Thames.
1: No um you, you're right uh, yeah, no, also they, they had a better idea for the film in the film mm. um where they did spice force Five, which i can only assume is a a, a nod to uh, fox force Five from um pulp fiction. pulp fiction um and you know quentin never wanted to do that idea we know he's full of good ideas he's never going to use so mm-hmm. that would have been a fun movie um yeah. uh, but no they decided to do this one Um, So a whole thing's working up to them doing the concert at Royal Albert Hall and Mm. there is the other subplot here is the uh, Barry Humphreys notice Barry Humphreys is playing the fantastic
3: Barry Humphreys
1: um, Australian icon kind of a douchebag though uh, in real Mm. life oops but an an icon nonetheless nonetheless Um, uh, he's playing the Rupert Murdoch character who's basically runs a tabloid and he hires a very sleazy pabbly photographer to try and take photos mm-hmm. of the girls to try and make up stories to say they're breaking up or they're afraid to play live or mm. anything of that nature um, just to make them look bad, which is sort of, again, sort of under a lot of lying with subplot that somehow this is going to yeah, affect the concert somehow. Like, I mean, if a British tabloids uh, making up shit affected anything, mm-hmm. um, I guess the world would have exploded a very long time ago. Cause like <laughs> no one listens to them. No, I mean, like it's, like, it's like reading one of the women's magazines, in, you know, the, Cash said, No one believes that shit, do they? Yeah, they do. Look at the last two years for prime examples. I was going to say, well, yeah, well, Brexit. Um, uh, <laughs> so the, the other ridiculous role in this film is: what did you make of Roger Moore's cameo? Like,
0: I loved it. It was just so stupid, and just he was just spouting of like telephone horoscope quality, just bizarre theories and prognoses and it was just like okay why is he feeding a pig and spouting weird sounding
1: philosophy i don't know but it's good nope it wasn't always a pig initially it was a cat (laughs) okay uh we're kind of like okay it's a it's it's it was a cat in the last scene i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. um and i'm kind of thinking it was it was one of a few successful attempts at parody in the film because it was incredibly random so like for example um when the rabbit of chaos is pursued by the ferret of disorder through the fields of anarchy it is time (laughs) to hang your pants on the hook of darkness whether they're clean or not (laughs) the headless chicken can only know where he's been he can't see where he's going (laughs)
0: they're wonderful and that kind of highlights one of the 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 sore point for this movie really when it goes balls to the wall out there and weird that's when it actually succeeds and coincidentally that's more often than not when it's not about the spice girls
1: it's um again to come back i talked about this a couple weeks ago professional wrestling if you have somebody who can't wrestle you want to put them in the ring with people who can the people mm-hmm. who can can make the people who can't look good, yes. uh, and that's kind of what they tried to do here. Obviously, you have a you know, uh, a class act like Richard, um, Richard Grant and uh, Alan Cumming. Um, I, I do wonder, it, it didn't really work by the way. Um, mm. it didn't, <laughs> no one can cover up this year, they're just on screen too much. I'd wonder if you knew all the cameos
3: because if
1: you be cameos in the movie, and you'd be, I was looking at going. I feel like I should know who that is. Like, I feel like that's stunt casting mm. and I should be giggling at that, but I like the um, Mr. Step, the dance instructor, mm. someone called Michael Barrymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who that is, but I he feel was... like he I should.
0: I, f- I feel like he, there was, there was some kind of controversy about him later on. Um, it, I don't think it was pedophilia but I think he got outed as being gay in a very, very horrible public way. And the press essentially assassinated his career uh, for a long time. And, um, but he was always one of these, like um, the, like the the family um, kind of the, the afternoon, Sunday afternoon family, everything, All all purpose show. There's a bit of singing and dancing, comedy, lightheartedness, interaction with the audience. He was essentially the MC for this TV show that was always on. And having him come in as be this strict dancer is like, oh, that's funny, that's cute. But for anyone outside of British shores, I really kind of go, All right,
1: I don't think anyone's gonna get this. So just to note there, in mid-1995, at the height of his fame, he went to the White Swan Gay Pub in London's East End, We gave an impromptu stage performance to the largely local crowd, singing the words, start spreading the news, I'm gay today. In Mm. 48 hours, every tabloid newspaper printed its own version of the evening's events, including untrue claims that Barrymore had thrown away his wedding ring. Um, Notably, he was also arrested for murder at one point in time, I think. Um,
0: oh that might have been someone it.
1: died in his swimming pool yeah um, he was um he was um uh, arrested on suspicion of murder but i don't think he was actually ever charged so yeah uh, we we're off topic a little bit but that was kind of one of those things i was like there's some very british moments in this like um mm-hmm. the version i saw we saw i think was the international version
3: mm-hmm.
1: in the uh is in slightly interesting stephen fry cameo um yeah <laughs> uh as a judge i think at the end he in the british version he said bring in gary barlow yeah um i i think he said bring in um hootie and the blowfish yes in the, the international version both of these neither of these have aged well no <laughs> 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 i mean uh michelle who i saw it with the other night i giggled at it and uh, so did i said it looks like i remember hootie um and <laughs> you know but uh Really, very like mid to late '90s, sort of um, generic, soulless, like ballless rock that Mm. you know um, you you know college guys would play to kind of impress their girlfriends and make them think they were Um, sensitive. But anyway, that's Hootie. But Gary Barlow, I think, was in Take That or something. Um, Yeah, uh, I don't know. One of those boy bands. But I know him because he had a hit here. um, But that was one hit. And that was it. But like, I um, think they all had one hit at least. (laughs) But
0: Robbie had a few. hmm, There, there was the. the, I think one of the problems for me with a lot of this is a lot of the um, cameos and things like that and references have aged poorly. Like they they removed the Gary Glitter cameo that was supposed to be yeah
1: Gary Glitter music, and it's like, oh, no one listens to Gary Glitter music anymore. I know, and um, Michelle, who I watched with, was a Spice Girls fan in her day a little bit. Um, she'll probably mm. kill me for putting it out there publicly, um, but um, already she's... commented on public assassinations, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think she mentioned, "I don't know this song." I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is a Gary Glitter song, and that yeah. made me think. I'm pretty sure I didn't, I hadn't looked at the trivia, but I remember hearing that he did a four minute cameo, or uh, I know later it was four minutes. He did a brief cameo in this film, mm. they cut because that whole child pornography thing came out before this
3: yeah and they also
1: had apparently a reference to Gianni Versace at some point in the film
3: that's right and yeah. Lady
1: Di which they both had the cut because obviously they both passed away in 97 mm-hmm. um Lady Di in her way of course and Gianni Versace was of course murdered um mm-hmm. so they had to the cut both of those um like Jesus this film is cursed yeah
0: yeah and it just as someone who grew up in the UK and knowing those things, it's like, oh yeah, I had fond memories of them. Then, then life revealed things about them,
1: or that went bad, and it's disturbing. I, this week, um, you know, I used to be a big fan of Marilyn Manson when I was mm. younger. I mean, his music in the last ten, fifteen years has been a bit meh. Mm. But uh, and these performances, I saw him in twenty nineteen when I was in the states, and he was fucking awful. Like he was absolutely <laughs> trashed at like five o'clock in the afternoon. He was wasted and couldn't remember the words of some of his songs. So yeah, it, it, a real embarrassment compared to what he, he was at his peak. But of yeah. course, what we know about him now in the last 12 months or so, I guess that has come out about him, but he's now being sued, I guess, or is he he been charged? I think um, for, for some of his treatment towards his previous partners, including Evan and Rachel Wood. Mm. Um, is fucking—he's a the guy. Sounds like. I mean, I'm going to assume he—it's correct because that's what we do. Mm. Uh, the guy is a, a genuine piece of shit. Yeah. Um, fi- file under you know, um, like Kevin Spacey and yeah, Army mm. Hammer and those sort of people. And maybe Army's not quite that bad. I don't know, but you know, Louis C.K. Just a genuine piece of shit. Um, yeah. and it's kind of it's kind of annoying because I, I still like his. Old music, and I, mm. I just feel like a hypocrite if I listen to it. So I have mm. to remember to take it off my Spotify playlist. And it's disappointing when someone you enjoyed mm. their work or someone you looked up to not saying I necessarily looked up to him, but you know, it's you know, you're thinking of these people who were famous in your childhood in the UK mm. who, you know, less we mentioned Jimmy Savile. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. But I don't um, know if you it... ever watch these TV shows, but it must be disturbing yeah. to find out what you find out about them later on. You yeah. go, oh, I feel a bit dirty having yeah. ever watched anything they did. Yeah, I, I remember the
0: show. Jim will fix it, and it's like, oh no, that's <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, it it goes back to the age old uh, debate of can you separate an art from their art, um, an artist from their art, and it's getting really
1: hard with some of these people.
0: Really, we had this to-
1: conversation when we did. Yeah. We talked about that documentary about Michael Jackson when it came out mm. a couple of years ago, and I'm of the opinion that if you still listen to Michael Jackson music today, um, without acknowledging what he almost certainly did, you mm. bit of a hypocrite. Um, and that's yeah. why I can't listen to Manson anymore because yeah, well, it's more it's more in my wheelhouse. Like I know a lot of people who say, no I really like Michael Jackson. Like, he wrote some great songs, but he was also almost certainly a pedophile. So mm. how do you square that circle? I can't. Yeah, but, you know, you're right, everyone does that differently. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, um that said, I don't believe there are any remaining, you know, criminals uh in in the film that i'm aware of um not yet not yet (laughs) um uh, you're right the the cultural references are are a struggle i mean the uh during the the um credits the the, uh spice girls talk directly to the audience
3: yeah
1: in fact the behind the scenes scene in the credits is actually one of the more slightly amusing scenes in the film it's actually quite well done again Maybe they should have done that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they, maybe the girls talk directly to the audience and they go, "Oh, you're snogging in the back row." And, um, <laughs> um, and then one of them, uh, I think, posh says, hey, "You, not you, you behind here. I like your dress. Is that Gucci?" And I think, Spice, um, Scary goes, "Nah, mate. CNA, mate. CNA." And I'm like, Michelle, and I just kind of looked at each other going, "I don't know what that means." <laughs> yeah. Neither did I. I still don't. Uh, it's the um, the trivia cleared that up for me. Okay. The posh uses a woman at a distance and asks if there's a new Gucci dress. Scary tells Posh, "C&A mate, C&A stands for Clemens and August, a British line of discount clothing. While her dress might seem like a Gucci at a distance, on close inspection, it would not pass for a Gucci." Um, okay. I do not you know, know that <laughs> I makes you wonder who they were making this film for. Were they making, are they expecting to make this film just for a British audience? Like, I remember the Spice Girls being globally huge there for yeah. a, a little while. Um, yeah. And maybe they made the, there's a note here somewhere in the trivia that the person who wrote it had never heard of them, but when he was an American. Um, but maybe there was, I, I it's difficult because I'm old. Um, mm. to exactly place that time i didn't live in the united states just so know when did they exactly land in the u.s like was this film made with the intention of it being for a british audience only to find actually hang on th- the film's out now three mm. months later they're selling squillions of records in the states can we you know sell it to the americans and then, because if they were making this for a, a an audience beyond britain with an especially mm. united states because who the fuck cares about australia Mm. Um, you know, why would you put reference to CNA, mate? CNA and Gary Barlow, and you know, that's it. It, I remember,
0: um, before they the Spice Girls had their first major US tour, it was on the front page of so many newspapers. They were like, oh, will the Spice Girls be the first band since the Beatles to break America? And kind of in the end i don't really know how successful they were but there was a lot of hype about it and it was kind of coming out um, as this movie was being produced i think or as they announced that they were going to make a movie or something like that and um because i think it kind of all culminated with this coming out whilst they were still in in the states and then six months later jerry left And it was like, oh, did their tour break them apart? Blah, blah, blah. Um, So there was a kind of a lot hanging on this from a kind of British respect level, I guess. And it's like, okay, I don't really know.
1: (laughs) Just to be clear, according to INDB, they sold 14 million records in the US and 2.4 million in Canada, as opposed to 13 million in Europe. I wonder if that includes the UK. I have to imagine it does. Um, <laughs> the group achieved the highest charting debut for a UK group on the Billboard 100 at number five, We say you'll be there. They also were the first British band since the Rolling Stones to have two top ten albums in the US Billboard 200 chart at the same time. Mm. Uh, and they earned around £30 million in 1998. Um, so okay. I think it's fair to say they were pretty big in the US. And so, I mean, I, I don't I mean... I, I don't know um, when exactly mm. all this happened. I'd have to go down and I'd have to be far more interested in the answers than I really am. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when they did it, but it just seems funny, you know, that um, mm. they they put so many local jokes in a film mm. about a group that was going to be released everywhere because not that mm. they were major, not that they hinged on them, but mm. it did kind of pull me out of a film well. and And that in some sectors would be considered a merciful thing to do. Um, yes. considered it the subject matter. Um, it was, um, you know what? I I laugh more than I thought I would. Yeah. I, it's, it's awful. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, mm. but it is joyfully nineties.
0: Yeah. Kind of sickeningly.
1: Yeah. Like overpoweringly nineties. Yeah. Like it's full of stuff. You're like, Oh shit. I forgot about that. I remember when that was. Yeah.
0: Like it was always seeing the crowd shots and just seeing uh, sort like how people dressed and things like that. So like, oh shit, I remember those styles. Oh, (laughs) oh no, why did we think they were any good? Why was I attracted to girls who dressed
1: like that? No, (laughs) oh dear, oh dear. Uh, Which which spicy, which Spice Girl was was your favorite back in the day? Did you have one? Mm. Didn't really have one. Um, they're all pretty. I think I
0: went through all of them as like, yeah, for brief moments. But I also do attribute the Spice Girls for my first breakup.
1: Oh, it's juicy now. We, it's just settling. we need to hear the story.
0: Well, well, me and my girlfriend at the time, we were very serious. We held hands in public. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember... Wannabe, their first, their big breakout song came out. And um, there was just a slew of girls breaking up with their boyfriends like a week afterwards because it's like they were using the words of wannabe. So, like, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends and all that stuff. They were using that kind of, like, weird gospel.
1: I was going to say, we were talking about that last night. It was never quite clear to me what that meant uh, yeah. in the sense that, like, if you said get with my friends... I mean, on the surface, that it seems to be, be inviting you for, uh, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but I think it's pronounced Manon George toi I like, I, assume, <laughs> I assume the context is you've got to get along with my friends. That would
0: be my assumption. But you never know. They could just be promoting.
1: It could, be unicorn, it could be unicorn hunting. Who knows? I'm not going to make Um did here. You, did your girlfriend want you to get with her friends? Is that what, what was the problem?
0: Well, I thought I was friendly with them. But then um, she decided... We were one of the last couples, one of the last standing couples, and she decided to break up with me on the school bus just as we were leaving school to travel three miles to get home. So I had three miles of shame. All of my friends and everyone on the school bus was just ripping into me.
1: And that girl's (laughs) name was? for Even the sake time. of protecting the innocent her name is Claudia wiss this is like this is like your own version of high fidelity right here <laughs> um there's a forgotten film. um but there you go uh, I um I don't know I always had a soft spot for ginger um always and I her. always I always respected her see people like' the tour breaker no Jerry was a smart one that the first person off the boat. Would get the best deal, like it's like you know mm-hmm. one of those police dramas. The first person to take the deal, like the first, <laughs> the first Spice Girl to go solo was going was gonna to take a make a lot of money. Um, I don't know which one sold more records. I don't mm-hmm. care and have to look into it. But I mm-hmm. wouldn't be mind guessing it was Jerry. Yeah, but um, yeah, we survived it. Uh, now it comes your turn to hit me over the head with something.
0: No, I am actually going. <laughs> potentially bad because of one of the actors who so far has been very much in the lose versus win category for us. But we are following Richard E. Grant Mm -hmm. and we are going to his 2018 movie that he co-starred with the aforementioned bad seed, Melissa McCarthy. Can you ever forgive me?
1: never heard of it Uh, so
0: this is a little little movie um there's a a very short synopsis here when lee israel falls out of step with current tastes she turns her art form to deception and this is apparently based on like a, a true story in the early 1990s lee israel a biographer with a modicum of writing success has fallen on hard times largely of her own doing her choice of subjects is in general not of interest to today's book buying public and she, in her only true friend, uh, being her aged cat Jersey and a scotch and soda, not really liking people and people in turn not really liking her, has burned bridges with everyone um, her agent Mallory has built for her. She will have to start from the ground up again if she wants to write a career as hiding behind her subjects, the book part, book by public will not buy a Lee Israel. Wow, well, this goes on for a really long time. But wow. essentially, she goes into um, fraudulently making books and kind of claiming the benefits on it. When the best-selling um, a best-selling
1: celebrity biography is no longer able to get published, she has fallen out of its separate current taste. She turns her iPhone to deception is what? It uh, yeah. just streams. So it is available to stream on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Uh, you can rent it on a bunch of different places if you want to mm. watch along and check it out yourself if you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Love it. You can buy it a bunch of places as well.
0: So I saw the trailer for this and I thought it was interesting, but because it's got Melissa McCarthy in it, I decided to not watch it. But now <laughs> this is an opportunity to potentially hurt us and
1: potentially find a maybe a better role for her. I've, I've, I've. Look, people keep telling me she can act. I'm, I'm yet to see it. Um, mm, really. But um, she has a seven 7.1 on IMDb and an 87 mm-hmm. meta score. so um, this could be her dead poet society, you know? Exactly. So just, hopefully I'm not killing us. Oh, it sounds better. It does have Ben Falcone in it, but, you know, hopefully it's a small role. Um, <laughs> but it does, of course, open the door to all of the horrible films he's directed with his wife in it um but let's not do that no. um i don't i think it was i think it's time to uh, steer clear of the, the war we were about to start and that's something <laughs> we can all enjoy the next week <laughs> yeah i i have
0: drawn the first bandage here we say
1: yeah <laughs> the, uh, the uh olive branch has been extended and uh, uh peace has been declared despite some people's enthusiasm for uh for us to keep punishing ourselves will.
0: The other option of movie that I was going to go for was follow I think it was the same director maybe a producer was um it might have been a really random connection to a Christina Ricci
1: movie called That Darn Cat. That Darn Cat. Well, yep. um that would have been fun cuz I do like cats, but um <laughs> Um, I know nothing about this movie, and it possibly would have been really hard to find. Uh, but that one from Oh goodness me! Okay, um, that probably would have been a like Disney Plus tour because well, it's a Disney film. Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll save like that one. Vault of movies that Disney's are like, yeah, we're not ta- we're not,
0: we're not reminding people of that.
1: Well, like those those blackface movies for crows yeah, and stuff. Exactly. From the, you know, we're not going to yeah. be doing that anymore. Let's just. Oh, oh you want that. to sing Zippity Doodah? No, get away. <laughs> Uh, well, interesting. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to this now. Um, hmm. it opens up a number of, uh, places we can go next time.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, should we, uh, update on Hawkeye?
1: Why not? Why not? I cool. am now as up to date as I could be before the show. Mm-hmm. I think we are now finding that the episodes are dropping during the show, which is bloody annoying, actually.
3: They um, are dropping,
0: like, 25 minutes before we start recording. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I was looking at this afternoon, going, "Have I got time to check out episode five? Because I think they've been hyping episode five a bit." Um, yeah, but um, I, it wasn't wasn't there this afternoon when I was checking. So I'm only up to four. Um, and so I think we we both caught up on three and four this week. Yeah. Um, I think this show is fine. It's good, mm. but yeah. I feel like it struggles to have an identity. What is this show even?
0: Yeah. I am um, really enjoying Haley Steinfeld. I think she is really good and a nice breath of fresh air. She, when she's actually in a scene with Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton, um, they they have an interesting chemistry, but what they're shooting for, forgive the pun, it it's there's, there doesn't seem to really be a target. I don't quite get where they're going for a lot of it. It seems to be somewhat... Odd Couple meets Lethal Weapon by way of Disney.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it seems like the show exists, I'm assuming. Yeah. Pretty much. It's just so they can hand the bow over.
0: Yeah. And like- that. I've started watching the new episode. I'm about 20 minutes into it. And, oh, boy, yeah. It's because um, at the end of episode four, we have the reveal of Yelena, um, who was introduced to us in Black Widow,
1: which is kind of assuming he's kind of unfortunate in a way because that was kind of a was that supposed to be later or afterwards? I can't remember. That was supposed to come out before Falcon Winter Soldier, I think. Outcome thing they joined yes. Louis Dreyfus in it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think I've just been waiting for her to turn up, and I'm kind of surprised it's taken this long because we yeah. got the false swerve of um mm. the uh Maya turn up in the previous episode,
2: yeah.
3: Um,
1: so um, I'm like, okay when am I going to get to see Florence Pugh? Yeah.
0: And that's, that's the, the problem with it. Like a lot of the hype that I'm seeing about it is, Oh, oh are they going to finally show off Kingpin and uh, all this? And that it, it's kind of serving. It's kind of what we've talked about for all of the Disney Marvel properties where they're all serving the greater job of, Oh, these are got to lead into movies. This is setting up for movies. It's like, Okay try just telling a compelling story and you'll have a much better product overall people are loving this in the moment because they just the general public just want more more marvel yes yum 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 yum, yum, yum. give me more i think that these are generally gonna age kind of poorly and then kind of like a little bit of what's happened with um the Prequel trilogy of Star Wars movie hindsight sort of like oh well they were setting up a lot of stuff and that kind of um reassessment of them. Long I after- think they've
1: only been reassessed those because the sequel trilogy, like you know, everyone's like, well, True. Disney can't do worse than Lucas did for prequels, I and mean, then Disney said, hold my hold my beer, uh, and, <laughs> and then dropped the dropped the ball horribly with those. Sequ- I reckon if those sequels had been uni- largely or widely respected or appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think we'd still be shitting on the um, the prequels, but how bad Disney did those to kind of made people go. Well, well in comparison, he was, he was trying to do something a little bit different, you know, at least. Yeah.
0: Um, All right. Well, then a, a better reference would be people looking back to age of Ultron.
1: Yeah. I think you're right though. Like once we know what the twist is, mm. I, I yeah. wonder how often you got, I mean, like, uh, you want to You are going to want to come back and watch them. I find myself mm-hmm. thinking the other night after episode mm-hmm. four, this is fine. I'm I'm not not enjoying it. It's fun mm-hmm. enough. It's it's distracting. Um, yeah. It's well shot, as you said. Haley and um, Haley and uh, Jeremy get along really well on screen. They're funny.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't find anything any of the villains particularly interesting as yet. Um, yeah. But I found myself going. Remember, remember the first half of the season of One Division. How mm-hmm. I mean, okay, there are a few different factors at play there. Uh, we were in lockdown for the first week or two, I think it was the first mm-hmm. Marvel TV show made for Disney, Plus, mm-hmm. so we were all very excited about that. What was mm-hmm. it gonna tell us? Yada yada yada, but mm-hmm. I still think the first five or six episodes of that are some of the best TV, TV that came out this year. Like, again, yeah. we, we keep saying it, we were the only people, who, well, we're the only people, but we were the few. <laughs> Who we were like, "This is great, this is great." From episode episode one, where I was like, "This is boring, what's mm-hmm. going on? I don't know what's happening." And I'm like, uh, "But you know, we were on board from that." But I think that show had an identity. Every week, you're like,
3: "What, mm-hmm. you know,
1: what the um, what new decade of television? They're going to be making taking their Mickey out of this week." You know, mm. it going a bit creepy. It was a bit spooky. It was all sorts of stuff going on in that show. Had yeah. a real identity though, being mm-hmm. about being about grief. Yeah. Um, I don't think Falcon and Winter Soldier did. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, some people will differ from me, but I'm fairly sure Loki didn't. Loki, for me, just existed to take us from point A to point B, which was, you know, introduce Kang basically.
0: It was, it was, it was a twofold thing of introduce Kang and give um a way for Loki to continue existing in the MCU because he is still the most beloved villain that the MCU has had and they've turned him into a good guy. And now they have the opportunity to have multiple versions of hit of this fan favorite character, either be the anti-hero or be the villain. They can just write it however they like.
1: Pretty much. Um, it was just, I guess, disappointing for me. Hmm. Um, well, disappointing is a strong word. I didn't think it was that great. Uh, and hmm. this is where I come to where I think I say, where do you place this if you're going to, put the four on a, on a, on a ladder because mm. that's what we like to do. Um, I would put this ahead of of, of, um, of that, that show, uh, Loki show, because I feel like my expectations for Loki were right up here.
3: Mm.
1: Whereas my expectations of Hawkeye are right down here. Mm. And it's clearing those expectations because they're pretty low. Um, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from the series. I wasn't really gagging to see it. Whereas mm. I really wanted to see what they were going to do with Loki and they sort of half-assed it and it didn't get anywhere near my expectations
0: i kind of uh wandavision still number one out of the show so far i think i think i put loki second but um but the drop between wandavision and loki is quite substantial um and then the gap between loki and this is much much closer i think that with loki they should have kind of almost gone more on the side of Terry Gillingham and just get a bit more time bandits kind of just go a bit weirder with it rather than go and tell actually a kind of very generic story that then leads to a confusing diatribe by someone that is very vaguely introduced and certainly not poses too much of a threat if you don't know who that character is. Um, whereas this, it's the, the opening kind of trailers for it and things They were kind of going, Oh yeah, we are going to give you all of those vibes of die hard and things like that. And that would have just been cool to have, um, die hard for Hawkeye. It's not that, but it hasn't revealed what it is either. It like, it's like, it's not doing anything bad. But its biggest biggest fault is the fact that I kind of, when I'm watching it, I kind of get distracted by watching other things and I'm kind of happy for it to continue playing in the background, which isn't what it should be.
1: No, it's not event television the way it probably should be for a, I mean, it's interesting. She keeps saying about how he's probably, he's the most boring Avenger and his problem is branding. Mm. Um, But I'm like, you are Right. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you, 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 you recognize the problem. <laughs> you recognize the problem in your dialogue, yet you have failed to resolve that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, yeah. I remember after we saw Endgame, I mean, and yeah, fair enough, Hawker is the most uninteresting and uninspiring Avenger because what can you do? He can shoot arrows. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
1: but then when Endgame came out, we had that little vignette of him as the, the Ronin going around killing a fucking badass,
3: mm-hmm. killing
1: gangsters all over the world. I'm like, there's show. Sure? Right there. There's your yeah. there's your show. Yeah. Right? Like you can yeah. do flashback shows for a fucking Black Widow. Black yeah. Widow was a flashback to before she died. Why can't we have a flashback Hawkeye show? Then I mean, in season yeah. two, you can go and give it to somebody else, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Um that would have been yeah. far more interesting than this.
0: Here's an idea for what they could have done. Okay. Literally every episode is an instance where Hawkeye slash Ronin went after someone. You get to see him in Ronin mode, just go through and wreck the Yakuza or the tracksuit gang. And then for the other half, shall we say, intermittent half of that episode is him basically having the worst fucking Christmas possible. He is in New York. He is wanting to get home for Christmas. And he keeps on um, – they have the Kate Bishop character there. They keep that kind of idea of her just putting on the Ronin suit and all that stuff, but it's all of these other gangs just coming every single time. It's like, fuck, there's more, and it's him paying for his sins. which so they...
1: basically um, Scott Pilgrim versus the seven evil exes. Yes. Hawkeye.
0: Yes. That would be cool. It would have been cool. Yeah, plus it would have meant that they would have been able to get um fuck what's the what's the name of the the actor who was um, yeah, in when, that
1: that flashback? The, the Japanese gay yeah. who he kills, yeah. Because yeah. he's
0: always really good and they could have had more of him in the show as well. Boom.
1: That would have been that would have been fun. Yeah, I, I, would have been, I was gonna say though, I thought you were before you got to the end now, so it sounds like uh, Hawkeye mm-hmm. via MacGyver. You know, um each episode he's saving a new town or something, you know, like oh, thank me, thank the Moore's gravitational pull.
3: <laughs> For a second
1: I thought you were gonna say Hawkeye meets quantum leap. <laughs> Sick. Um, I would be down with that. But, said, but you know what? You could do that though, like you could be each one could be a variant. See, that's what makes me run with Loki. So many ideas uh and so this little creativity.
0: Cool producers, ladies and gentlemen. So this little creativity
1: why. at Disney. We should be the people I mean, like then again, we just throw the idea at the warner, like, okay, what happens next? And we are be like, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Bring guys, me my yeah, soda. <laughs> write things. Uh you're writers. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, I, I'm with you. I think we're in, in furious agreement. It's it's okay. Yeah. It's definitely not terrible. But it's not particularly inspiring either, which is kind Mm. of described as Hawkeye's whole arc. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (sighs) That's a shame. But um, what's the next thing? Oh, it's...
1: That's that's Spider-Man. Oh, well, yes, uh, that is is tonight. I am going to try and see it on Friday Mm -hmm. so I can avoid... See if I can avoid spoilers.
0: I have already had spoilers thanks to... Twitter, and my own brain forgetting that there's a bad guy in Spider-Man called Sandman. I saw Sandman trending and thought, "Oh, I wonder if that's something to do with the Sandman TV show. Oops. Uh, that's not a spoiler. Well, I haven't said what it was about, and the stuff that I saw didn't actually have anything to do with Sandman. So, okay.
3: don't believe
1: really so Because Sandman is not the trailer in case you're going to get mad at us, yes. so you know we're not spoiling the fact he's in the movie mm-hmm. um i i guess no like the same i mean the same thing is people are going to be going around being arseholes, just dropping spoilers all over joints so you don't you know um you, you may not even need to click on something that's actually relevant to spider-man to be spoiled so um yeah. it's going to be hard work um do we have time for some sponsors? Yeah, let's get some sponsors
0: in there. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you are going to the websites for our sponsors, make sure you use no discount on this promo at count at count
1: and you'll be able to get no discount. It's fantastic. I'm gonna say no discounts. In fact, it's we're going back to the 80s, so you know, get out your get out <laughs> your bank, get out your bank card, get out your bank card. Um, and uh enjoy. I gotta get out
3: my checkbook.
1: Second, uh, just to cancel that mm. one second. Stop that. Uh, wrong button. Stop that There we go. That's better. We're professionals <laughs> this week. This week, we're gonna go back to a new corner of the anglosphere. We're going to New Zealand.
2: <gasps>
1: new Zealand. Okay, be ready for those accents,
2: oh, ladies Crazy and
1: accents. I go badly bent returns across the channel
2: taking with him the fabled pack of twisties without it the enemy could never learn the secret of that crispy crunchy cheesy taste yikes said rupert bandits at seven o'clock the battle raged for hours dash it all i bought it observed rupert there was only (laughs) <laughs> and so, the secret of Christie's was, again, safe. And Flight Lieutenant Rupert, well, he was a lazy pilot anyway. Yeah.
3: Staggs, look! to our last bag! But so what if they don't get through?
1: They'll get through, son. At Eater, we go to great lengths to make sure the big taste the always gets through. To make sure the big brand with double the and double the flavor comes through fresh every day. You can always tell them eat a chip from an ordinary chip because with we'll it...
3: Shut I'm we'll a good man of you. Puck <laughs> na. na na na, it
2: na na na, up, na na na,
3: you do that counts. It's what you do that they'll remember. A simple treat's enough enough to show them
0: Offended.
1: And offended um. the ball. It's interesting uh, seeing those sort of things. Like, if you grew up there, you'd be like, oh, Georgie Pie, that's... here we go, the fast food chain. What's a fast food chain? Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, they're gone. <laughs> those discount codes no longer apply. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie Pie was a fast food chain owned by retail progressive enterprises, specializing in meat pies, the hope to be New Zealand's own homegrown alternative to the global fast food industry giants, such as McDonald's Pizza and Burger King. Um, founded in 1977. There you go. Um, McDonald's bought them out. Those bastards. How dare um, they? National treasures. Um, <laughs> wow, Here you go. In 2020, only last year they went under. How about that? So... It's it's a little bit interesting. You must be um must be a bit like you seeing those Australian commercials. And very familiar to me, but you're gonna be like, oh, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, pretty much. Oh uh, well, this is this is what you get. It's not just a podcast about film. It's an education. <laughs> about global fast
0: food brands um, we are next. not de- determining whether it is a good or
1: bad education but it is an education should we talked about wimpy burger the other week um so, you know um it like a theme building
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um should we move on to something a little bit more on topic yeah yeah let's i will it. talk a little about last jewel Mm. This is duels and duel not J-E-W-E-L. Mm. The last Jewel is the latest film from Sir Ridley Scott. Well, um, the, he also has uh, The House of Gucci, Ah, uh, Tell Um, yeah. is that even the atmosphere yet? I don't know. I think um, it's out. um, I stand corrected, but anyway, one of the more recent <laughs> films by Sir Ridley Scott. Uh, he's been busy. Uh, this film has a pretty cracking cast. We have Matt Damon, Adam Driver, uh, Jodie Comer, probably best known for Killing Eve, mm-hmm. um, of course, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, incomparable Ben Affleck um, popping up right here as well. And mm-hmm. if you're a fan, of I'm sure if you're a fan of British dramas or probably a shitload of other uh, British people in here, you go, oh, that guy was in Bridgeton or something.
0: Jodie Comer may also uh, people would probably know her from Free Guy.
1: Ah, yes, very. Co- I, I just think of her from Killing Eve. I, mm. I didn't, re- almost didn't recognize her from Free Guy. But you're right; that was a. She's making her break now into Hollywood. Mm. Um, the uh, film uh, synopsis: uh, King Charles VI declares at night Jean de carouge settles his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Now, that is a very fine example of one of those synopsises that you go, what the fuck? That is not what happens. But it barely (laughs) scratches the surface. (laughs) This is a better one. Based on the true story of France's last trial by combat in the Middle Ages Knight Jean de Carouge challenges his former friend Jacques Legree to a duel after Jean's wife Marguerite accuses Legree of rape, told in multiple Rashomon-style points of view. Um, for those who aren't familiar, Rashomon is the Japanese Kurosawa film, which I don't mm-hmm. believe I've ever seen. I know we watched a, did a Kurosawa season a few years ago, and mm-hmm. we watched The Seven Samurai, but I don't think we yeah. watched um, uh, Rashomon. So um, it's the second um, uh, Kurosawa mm-hmm. film that's been recommended to me this week. Um, mm-hmm. Directed, as I said, by Ridley Scott. Uh, the screenplay was written by three people, uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So this is the first screenplay they've worked together on, I believe. Um, since the oscar-winning uh one for um how was they won the oscar for um goodwill hunting goodwill hunting sorry um because in my tip of my brain couldn't get it out um and <laughs> nicole your brain? <laughs> that might be a problem there travis google just google the internet um do you ever listen do you ever listen to um eric bischoff's
3: podcast no you I've really should
1: uh, it's called 83 weeks and it's excellent he's very well known for these he's, he's getting it half getting things wrong because he's talking a lot he but and they make t-shirts out of him and so we like one of his famous ones was google the internet um, <laughs> um and so it's become like a thing on the show now But we'll talk about it um the other writer is nicole holof i'm probably pronouncing that poorly um and uh she's known for things such as um enough said she wrote can you ever forgive me um oh interestingly, and some of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Parks and Rec, that kind of thing. The film is broken into three parts, and each part is written by one of those writers. So, um, when it says Rashomon style um, uh, sort of uh, points of view, uh, we have the three main characters who we just talked about. We have Adam Driver, we Mm -hmm. have Matt Damon rocking one of cinema's most epic mullets. Like,
3: I mean, <laughs>
1: this mullet deserves a Golden Globe nomination. Um, it's just, I mean, I friend of a show, Petria, walked into the apartment halfway through the, uh, the movie, and I just said, look at Matt Damon's hair the next time he's on screen, and he walked on screen, and she burst out laughing. Um, you've got to Google it. Google the internet and, um, <laughs> and check out his mullet. Um, so we have Matt Damon's so Carou- John Carouge. We have Adam Drummond's Jacques Legris. And uh, Jodie Comis Marguerite de Carouge. So uh, Matt Damon and Jodie Comis characters are married. Um, mm-hmm. And Adam Driver, as we know, was a friend of Matt Damon. They meet in battle, where um, Matt Damon saves Adam Driver's life uh, during a during a battle, and they become become close afterwards. After that particular war ends, in which he um, which he saves his life, they sort of have. Um, different paths of, of, of sort of, what do you call them, of how well they do. Um, and Adam Driver ends up working for um, the, the Duke of Count, or basically the dude who's Matt Damon's uh, master, if you will. You know, Thinking, i I've, excuse my terminology, my medieval, um, <laughs> you know. Um, the dude. His he's, royal he's, dude. His <laughs> royal dudeness, El Duderino. um <laughs> You know, uh, my, my, my terminology uh, for feudalism may not be quite up to snuff. <laughs> um, but, but basically, Matt Damon is the, the cousin of a king, and he basically controls what goes on in that part of France. And Adam Driver ends up working, getting very close to him and working for him. Matt Damon owes him money. Um, so there starts to be some friction there. Uh, Matt Damon ends up marrying Jodie Comer. Uh, they all... and. They, eventually ends up falling out with Adam driver uh, over uh, some land which he was promised as part of his dowry for Jody coma so it's a complex story already you can tell
3: mm-hmm.
1: so we have these three main characters sort of a love triangle if you will because Adam driver develops a bit of a bit of a crush on mm-hmm. uh, on uh, Marguerite and then it turns into a delightful romp a la 10 things I hate about you it was just it was just a goofy, fun time as they try to figure it's out... It's to have a, a dance routine in a movie like this. I think so. And, and when, when, when who Marguerite chooses to take to the prom, you'll never guess. Um, How Marguerite it, got her groove back. Exactly. Um, no, it's I'm being facetious and I probably shouldn't be because it's quite a serious movie. Um, <laughs> so the first chapter is told from Matt Damon's perspective. The second mm-hmm. chapter is told from Adam Driver's perspective. And as I recall, Adam, Matt Damon wrote, the the first part uh, Ben Affleck wrote the second part Ben Affleck by the way you think Matt Damon's hair is wacky in this film you've got to see Ben Affleck's hair it's bleach blonde it looks like he's fronting crazy town a la 2001 um if you that's a that's a deep cut there that's a it's a valid and and, you know (laughs) contemporary reference crazy town um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then uh, the, the, the third chapter is written by uh, Nicole Hollisner, or however she pronounced her name. Um, and I guess the, what this film really revolves around is we find out that Adam Driver and them basically have a falling out. While Matt Damon is away fighting in, in Scotland, um, uh, Adam Driver's character makes a, a surreptitious visit to uh, the, the, the property owned by um, Marguerite and John. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially he rapes uh, marguerite in a pretty horrific scene Mm. um we do see um spoilers you don't even spoil anything really because it's a historical event so it's all on the record um (laughs) but uh, it's seen from two different angles and here's where um i guess i might have missed something here for, for according to people i've spoken to who have also seen the film i found myself seeing I thought it was an interesting narrative choice to have it, you know, seen from those three different perspectives because it does demonstrate how what I see can be very different from the way you see things. Mm. Um, but there are certain scenes. So, the rape scene, for example, is repeated twice. Twice, excuse me. We see it part of Adam Driver's um, arc, part of his uh, point of view section,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we see it through Marguerite's section, uh, point of view section. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself questioning why I needed to see a brutal rape scene twice. Mm. Um, now there is a school of thought out there by some who say that um, the, the rape scene in Adam Driver's point of view section, for example, is um, played very differently to that when it's seen through Marguerite's point of view. In a sense, mm. it's sort of almost like a playful game in, in Adam Driver's uh, point of view, as opposed to a completely brutal assault under Mm. under marguerite's point of view i I don't really agree with that i don't really agree with that um uh, and maybe this is me filtering it through a 21st century filter a little bit and sort of going well if anybody guy has to chase a screaming woman around a room uh who's screaming no 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 don't please stop Mm. (laughs) that's a fucking rape um, mm. you know, and it's horrible and, you know, it's just a horrific thing to have to watch Somebody endure. Um, I'll pay that that scene runs a little longer in mm. Marguerite's perspective in that that arc of, of that chapter. And it's a little bit more graphic about how violent and rough and brutal he is with her. So it's... Bit, uh, and I am going to get flamed by people who are listening who are, who saw this film as well, who disagree mm. with me, but I just felt that was very subtle. There was the differences were, mm, I'm say minor. I want to say subtle and minor to the point mm. where I was like, well, once it started up again, like, okay, I've already seen this scene. Like mm-hmm. I know how he ends. I know what he does. So um,
0: you, you're saying that they're doing it from three different
1: perspectives. There's Adam Driver. It sounds like he's agreeing that he did rape her. He says he had – sex. well, he doesn't actually ever deny having sex with her, but he believes it was consensual, which is, you know, a fairly okay. standard response. So do you
3: probably. think
0: it's
1: a failing of the the story to put more
0: of a playful side on his perspective versus the – I, I think if that's
1: – look, I'm not – look, obviously I'm not really Scott, and, and I don't know hmm. exactly what he was going for here. But if that is the correct interpretation that the director and the writers intended for this to happen hmm. – I I mean yeah I think you need to say, I needed to see something quite different I mm. needed to, to you know really get a stronger sense that the uh, these are two different perspectives of the same event mm. or I just need to see it once
3: mm. okay, is, not... is,
1: sorry, sorry is is
0: Jacques um, kind of the way that he's being portrayed is he shown as a bad guy or is he shown as an indifferent kind of person
1: or it depends on the point of view. So if you watch Matt
3: Damon's uh, his point of view.
1: His point of view, he's kind of sleazy. I mean, he's okay. a, I mean, he's come across like he's, he's a ladies' man, right? I mean, it's the 13th century in France and, yeah, Frenchman, right? Am I, am I right? You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> go away or I shall taunt you again. Uh, um, <laughs> and, and if you, your, you. <laughs> your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of um it's it's, it's Ooh, it's, stop with that dirty pillow talk <laughs> um he's kind of I, I, he came across to me as kind of sleazy and okay. kind of underhanded and nefarious in the sense he he doesn't seem to think too hard and, and, and it's interesting that the the, the, the actors are, do a wonderful job uh jean uh, matt damon is a what he's a great warrior
3: mm. you know
1: he's a really tough he's a real badass but he's kind of a fucking idiot Mm. Actually, and he's a really shitty human being as well, mind you. Mm. Um, but I mean, again, this is the 14th century, so you know, stand is a little different. Um, but mm. he's kind of a dick, but he's also a shitty human being who makes bad decisions um, and has no sense of diplomacy mm. um, and doesn't know how to play the game. I think that's the difference between the two of them. Adam Driver's Sharks knows how to play the game. Um, mm. So, but he's only he came across to me as sleazy. Okay. um and a little bit underhanded but of course he, in his story he's not the bad guy um mm. but i just don't know how i was supposed to interpret what he did to marguerite as mm. anything other than rape uh, mm. I, I didn't even from his point of view perspective it came across as as as, as an assault as an unwanted mm. you know uh, that,
0: that's that's what my 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 thought uh, on it it doesn't sound like because no matter who you are you're always going to try and justify your actions and you are gonna wear those rose-tinted glasses on an instant where someone might have thought, "Oh, wow, you were being really fucking aggressive." It's like, "Oh, I, th- I thought I was just being joke- jokey and uh, you know, conversational and things like that." You, when you recount that story, is gonna be if if that was your honest perspective of it, it's gonna play more like that in your head versus the other person on the other side of that is like, "Why are they viciously attacking me?" So it sounds like they didn't get the tone right when they were actually going from his
1: perspective. For me, that was it. I just, I mean, and and it's also, I think, again, I I am a broken record and this film's too long. It's Mm. two and a half hours, two hours, 32 minutes now. It's a substantial story. Uh, And I should note, this is actually a really fucking good movie. Mm. It's just too long. Um, Probably, I mean, I I know I say this ad nauseum, but if, if I was a filmmaker going into the editing bay, and once I finished the film, I reckon I'd recommend them go back and try and find another five, 10 minutes in this. Mm. If you can, like, mm. if they, I mean, maybe they're not the person to do it. Maybe there should be someone else coming and go, maybe chop this, maybe chop that, you know, and they could have chopped five, 10 minutes out of his film. I think it would have been a lot more effective, a lot more powerful. Mm. Cause I was, oh, it, it is an exhausting film and mm. not because it's bad. It's, it's actually some of Ridley's best work in a long time, I think. Mm. Um, but that was what I was thinking at the end was that that, that, Second rape scene goes for another 10 minutes. You're like, I why am I watching this again? I know what happened to her. I mm. know that he, when she says she was raped by him, but she's not lying. Because mm. I just didn't I didn't see how anyone could have interpreted the first scene as anything other than, than an attack, other than rape. Mm. So if you know, I don't see how he could have thought that was in any way consensual. Mm. Um, so that was that was my criticism of it in the sense that I didn't need to see that twice from my perspective. Now again people will differ on that and they think it was mm. definitely a valid and in a brilliant way of contrasting the way a man sees that situation this is the way a woman does mm. um with the, the actual
0: showing of it do they have it kind of segregated into three individual parts or do they
1: intercut between no it is free chapter one chapter two chapter three so it's not okay. it's not pulp fiction you know chopping around from mm. different characters perspectives and that okay. sort of thing um the final fight scene between between Matt Damon and Adam um, driver the actual crowd by combat um mm. is is astonishing filmmaking yet again like again this is someone who just so so knows his craft i mean and i was surprised by it i, I wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting the outcome that came mm. through i didn't i sort of saw it playing out differently so it, i saw it play out differently um i didn't see it being as brutal as it was i don't think i i thought i was going to see a jousting match you know a little bit like a knight's tail uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, this ain't your mama's. We
3: will rock you. <laughs>
1: this, ain't, this ain't your mama's night's tale. Let me tell you right now that <laughs> final fight scene. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, a friend of a show Patria was watching with me. We got a verbal oof from her uh, <laughs> at, in the, in the, at the end of the uh, Fire by Combat. And if you're squeamish, mm-hmm. uh, if you dislike strong violence or blood and that kind of thing. Um, you need to rethink seeing this film. Like, there is sexual okay. violence in this film that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in obviously, like, I've covered the rape scene, the trial by combat scene. There are numerous war fights, uh, war scenes of fairly brutal combat. Um, throughout yeah, on, the the,
0: on the scope, are we seeing similar kind of like the opening
1: combat in Gladiator or um, more than that? I think it's probably a little bit more than that. Um, okay think say apocalypto by mel gibson different setting okay. obviously yeah. uh, but you know think of all passion of a christ you know that kind of level of blood and gore and brutality and violence yeah. okay not as bloody as passion of a christ because obviously it's got that 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 scene in it you know but um, yeah. whip, um but it's he's not pulling any punches here like i don't know where i got the money for this um, but uh he's so rude he kind of gets to do whatever he wants mm-hmm. um so uh, he's, he's, um, he's not pulled any punches here. Um, and it's a very fine movie. I think it's available to mm-hmm. stream now on Disney+. Plus.
0: You
3: okay.
1: can rent, definitely rent it on Prime as well, I think. Um, now you've talk, you've
0: talked about Matt Damon and Adam Driver in this. Um, how are Jodie Comer and Ben Affleck? Because they're the other big names. Uh,
1: well, Ben Affleck has a smaller role in it, and it's very difficult to pay, take him at all seriously because of his haircut. Uh, I mean, it is like you're gonna have to Google the haircut, guys. Like it's it's something else. Um, like, but he does what he does fine. Though it's a little bit difficult sometimes to go. Oh, it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on a screen doing stuff together again. You don't see that very often anymore. Mm. Um, so he's a bit distracting, if I'm to be honest, just because of the crazy haircut. Like I don't know what was up with that like it's really noticeable like you think if people think i'm being silly, silly it's 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 really hard to not pay attention to mm-hmm. um he's fine he does what he needs to do jodie coma would probably be i I'd probably criminal me to overlook her in a sense that uh, i've talked about with two guys performances her is probably is the, the thing that holds this whole film together and considering she's the most important part of the story i mean essentially yeah. what the film is about here is that um the only way she can get justice, the only avenue to her to get justice on the man who raped her is through her husband in mm. the sense that she is considered her husband's property. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that, in that, in that sort of aspect, she, he can actually then take action against Adam driver because he has damaged his property, mm. which is kind of a, pretty disgusting and wild concept that Mm -hmm. you know a a human again this is the 13th 14th century a a wife can be considered her husband's property and that's Mm -hmm. the only way she can seek justice against a man for something like that um but she is every bit the movie star in this she's her performance is outstanding uh in what was must have been a fairly challenging role Mm. i uh, i didn't like killing eve very much uh it was kind of Mm -hmm. weird but um um uh, she was great and free guy i think and i i think it's fair to say wouldn't be surprised to see her go on to be you know in a lot more stuff as a as a it's a very serious film star from here on out these are the kind of I mean i wouldn't be surprised to see this film get a lot of oscar nods next year
0: okay okay all right
1: but overall you you enjoyed it if confronting i enjoyed it i did look i mean like I said, I just I just find two-and-a-half-hour films exhausting, mm. uh, even at home. It's one I watch it at home. And trust me, my neighbour wasn't happy about it because it's very loud. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I said, I enjoyed it. It's a good film. Um, I would highly recommend it if you enjoy challenging uh, films about, you know, serious topics. Uh, if you're just looking okay. for a Swords and Sandals, you know, adventure film, this ain't it.
3: Mm. Okay. All right.
1: Good to know. It's been on my list of
0: I'll get around to watching that, but um,
1: yeah, I'm going to. There's check a lot it of out. things on there. Oh, good. Yeah. we get the spammer. You're going to have to. Well, I mean, when you're this famous, you know, it's not surprising that people, you know, want to spam us. You know, they want to get that publicity. I, yeah, I was on the show.
0: <laughs> you are the talent. You draw them to you.
1: It can't be helped. All right, now.
0: Um, Do you want to talk about The Unforgivable or do you want a a bit of a breather while I can talk about The Protégé? I I think people have heard enough from me. Talk, Tell us about The Protégé. Okay, so The Protégé is um, a new prime video movie starring uh, Maggie Q. um, Probably best known for um, Die Hard 4? 4. Uh, Yeah, she was in Die Hard 4. She was in Mission Impossible 4. Um, She's popped up a lot she was also in um la femme nikita the uh, the remake uh, the tv show that happened a while ago um it's got michael keaton in it it's got um samuel L. jackson and it's direct directed by martin campbell the guy who did the, the uh legend of zorro and casino royale and
1: GoldenEye and Free martin <clears throat> uh don't mention the war he's a kiwi yeah um yeah uh
3: there's there's
1: a lot
0: of overall talent attached to this and the protege is an interesting concept i guess because it it tries to utilize different elements of war-torn countries that aren't traditionally seen in this kind of movie setting but it doesn't really do much with that um so the the premise for it is rescued as a child by the legendary assassin moody played by samuel L. jackson anna maggie q's character is the world's most skilled contract killer however when moody is brutally killed she vows revenge for the man who taught for uh, for the man who taught her everything she knows um where the kind of unusual scope or lens comes in for this is it's um Maggie Q is she's uh, rescued from a, a very brutal uh Vietnam incident and um a lot of this story kind of does take place in Vietnam so it's not the the most common of settings but they don't really do much to utilize that as much of a story device except oh the the girl who escaped from Vietnam has got to go back there to face her demons so to speak um which is a shame because there's I'm studying Vietnamese as a language and I'm getting to know more about the culture and particularly the periods of time that they're talking about and what they're trying to incorporate. There's some really interesting, juicy meat there that they never actually cut deep into. Um, the character of Anna is very, very typical. Um, she's that, you know, Moody, Samuel L. Jackson's character, kind of goes to this house. We never explained why he goes there we just see him there and he's just kind of rifling through and then he hears something and he opens up a, um, a cupboard and young Anna's there holding a gun and there's all these dead people around. And he's like, Oh, did you do that? And she just pulls the trigger, but it clicks. And he just, just holds out his hand and she gives the gun and he just says, Oh, this is usually a reliable gun and just cocks it and just gives it back to her. says, There you go. Um, and then after that, basically he's won her over and he takes her back to, to the States and then cut to now. She is this incredibly talented assassin who there, as is always the case with these kind of things, they've got their set of rules and they only ever kill bad guys and that sort of stuff. It's like, okay. So far, very paint-by-numbers. And tragically, that's the whole film. There's a couple of elements that are mildly interesting, like um, the relationship between Anna and uh, Michael Keaton's character, who's uh, called Rembrandt. And Michael Keaton will love the guy. He's always He always brings a good, good experience every time I see him. And he gets to do some action in this. So if they... You know, the fact that they're bringing him back for Batman for in this flash, um, flashpoint movie, it's like, yeah, he could, he could still rock it as an old, older Batman. Hell yes. Um, the relationship that he has with Anna in the movie, it's paint by numbers, but the chemistry between them is good. They play off each other well. Samuel L. Jackson's character is, um, fun. Um, but, Surprise, surprise! There's a twist, and I bet you can already guess what it is.
1: Well, I won't ruin it for the audience, but um, and I might <laughs> want to watch it. Yeah, sure, probably you, you not. You
0: will, you will see what happens and go, yeah, that ain't gonna stick. I don't need your, in other words, I don't need your superpower to pick it. No, you do not. You do not. Um, the other kind of famous face in it is Robert Patrick,
2: T1000 himself.
0: himself. Yeah. Um, and he's a uh, just like a, the leader of
1: a biker gang in Vietnam. We don't really get.
2: Is there are
3: a the lot guys? of American
1: white Americans leading biker gangs in Vietnam. I would imagine. Oh yeah, of course,
0: yeah. <laughs> but it it never goes. It never tries to do anything different. The action is very very safe, and like the they try to get a level of brutality. Like I always when I think of um, Martin Campbell and his direction, I think of the black and white sequences that he's um, the flashback elements in Casino Royale, where he's having that sit down conversation with his final target before he can be a double O agent. And it's like just real hard cuts and just brutal hits. And they are trying to sell the action in that way, but it, just doesn't work. And it comes off too staged. And that's something that we've talked about with Cowboy Bebop, rest in peace. Um, It just looks too staged. It doesn't look fluid and organic. It doesn't look hard and tough. And she's supposed, obviously, Maggie Q is this beautiful, lithe woman who's tall and just elegance personified, regardless of whether she's got gunshots in her or anything. But still, we've seen rough hard hitting fights with beautiful women doesn't matter they can still sell it when it's sold well Mila jovovich is not a great actress but when she's in a fight sequence you can see her just really going for it and putting weight behind punches and kicks and it she sells it maggie q has that ability she's she did a whole show about being an assassin so this shouldn't be much of a stretch for her it's just shot poorly and it's just staged too much. And it's such a shame because it could have been something interesting. They could have used more of the cultural differences between the US and Vietnam, particularly considering the very messed up relationship that America and Vietnam has had over the time. They could easily have brought some of that wonderful stuff into the story of this and really given it something interesting. They just don't, whether they don't have the balls to do it
1: or whether the writer for it, who's... Uh, Richard rich- Wenk. Uh, he looks like the problem here. If you look at his background, he's written two Equalizer films, The Mechanic, yeah, yeah. Which is a Jason Statham film, and yeah. The Expendables 2. And the bad yeah. one wasn't bad enough. Um, yeah. He also wrote 16 Blocks, which wasn't great. I think it's a Bruce mm-hmm. Willis film, uh, Jack Reacher film, but it wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, Somehow he's writing the Craven the Hunter film. Um, that's
3: super
1: disappointing. Um, if, just, I haven't read and seen the guy, I don't know if his film is any good or not, but you know, based on his, his work yeah. today, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy it's, you want.
0: It's very paint by numbers, and maybe he's just using all of these movies to kind of push and just learn his craft.
1: He's been writing he's films not.
0: since the 80s. Oh, God, No. I mean, I'm a slow writer, but that's, that's eighty six
1: was his first screenplay credit. Like, he's not new to the game. Um, then again, Craven Hunter is part of the extended Spider-Man universe, which means it's mm-hmm. Sony, which means it's mm-hmm. probably ass. <laughs> oh come on! They've they've been doing well with Spider-Man. They and- haven't had. I'm not giving Sony any credit for what Spider-Man Eight is. All Marvel. <laughs> the, the Venom films were okay. The yeah. fact that that uh, Jared Leto vampire thing has been sitting on the shelf for as long as it has uh, doesn't. The new trailer well. came out and it looks pretty good. Oh come it on! Look it's been, great. If it was it any okay. good, it wouldn't. It's been on the shelf for a long time.
0: Now they're, they're blaming um, COVID.
1: Shush! It, it, oh,
0: it's well, gonna, it could... it, look, it's probably best case scenario. It's going to come out and be the same quality as Black Widow. Which for oh, a Sony property is pretty
1: good. That would be a huge win, but we'll see. I just want to say Sony's extended Spider Man films have not been good. Interesting, Martin Keaton's in that film as well. Um, Morbius. We um, but anyway, uh, I think it, this film looks cheap on the surface. It feels it, it does feel it. It feels like we've talked
0: about it in the past about Netflix movies and about how they get these. Um, actors and these famous faces and famous um, pro- uh, producers to to do stuff and it's like, alright, we're going to give you 20 million go off and make a movie, it doesn't need to be perfect, we just want to get something there to boost our m- numbers for a brief period and this kind of feels like what they've done over at Prime Video, which is disappointing considering some of the movies that they really started pushing, like The Big Sick that was a fantastic movie that was trying that did something different, and it ended up being a, a a very successful movie in all regards. Audiences really enjoyed it, and critics really liked it. Um, it's sad to see them not be able to keep that pace up, but at the same time, this could very well be a just a filler
1: project to get them through the COVID. It's age. like um I haven't seen Red Notice yet not on Netflix, mm-hmm. but it mm. looks like a fairly similar. Like it doesn't look very good. Um, yeah, you know, it feels like we get two or three big name actors. Yeah. Fill the rest of the cast with no names. Maybe one extra guy who did something twenty five years ago. Film it somewhere cheap, Romania, Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, and then whack it on the front page of a streaming service. And yeah. uh, your Saturday night, your girlfriend comes over. You want to watch something? Oh, it's got Michael Keaton and Samuel Jackson in it. I like Maggie Q and Die Hard or whatever. That'll do, yeah. right? And the amount the, the uh, I think Red Notice is now the most streamed film on mm-hmm. in Netflix's history, they've ever said. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, the Jack uh, Snyder film came out early in the year, Army of the Dead. I think at yep. one point that was an incredibly popular streaming. I think it was that Netflix or was that Prime? I can't remember. Um, uh, that was Netflix, and again, that was incredibly successful despite being absolute pants. Mm. Um, so. <laughs> you know, it, it's just having a couple of names, a couple of faces on the on the poster, or do yeah. you want to call it the thumbnail? Should I say um, yeah. on the streaming service <laughs> is kind of is kind of what you want, really. I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's any good. Like yeah. those Adam Sandler films that he made for Netflix, you had to sit through one or two of them. They were god awful, from what I recall. Yeah. But
3: yeah. they yeah.
1: made they got a lot of eyeballs. The Netflix were, um, like the most viewed thing on Netflix for the time. Yeah. So yeah, um, just having. This product is just about having something on the screen. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's good. Yeah.
0: It's the legitimate explanation of the customer is always right. It doesn't mean that the customer always gets their way. It means if the customer is willing to buy it, then we will make
1: it. That it's the right product, right? Like, yeah. and it's, it's different to the cinema, right? Because you're not spending extra money to go. You're not giving up mm. extra time. Like, oh, we'll yeah. go to a cinema Saturday night. If That's 40 bucks. Then mm-hmm. they got popcorn is another 40 bucks. You know, it's a hundred dollar night out with, you know, with um with food and drinks and stuff. So mm-hmm. like, you kind of, and if people, your word of mouth thing gets around, like, you know, you stop and you'll look into things and go, oh, I don't know about that. Everyone says that one's shit. Mm. But you know, like the streaming service, you're already paying for prime probably. Yeah. Um, you're already paying for Netflix. You just go, oh, well, that has got Ryan Reynolds in it. That one's got mm-hmm. Michael Keaton in it. I'll just give it a go and you check it out. Yeah. So, I I don't. uh, In in a way, it's kind of depressing. There's really no interest in the level of quality. It's just the viewership that's built into it.
0: It it definitely feels like um, as we keep going into this streaming age, that much more the crown jewels of those streaming services are not features. It is TV shows they are the ones that like, oh, we can uh, release it each week. And we keep getting those numbers come back in 13 million every week. That's wonderful. Rather than 44 million one week. And then it's dead for the rest of its life.
1: You know, and you're never going to watch it again. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Like, and then that's basically one night's entertainment where a mm. good TV show, that's even, it's like a 10 episode run, like with one division, that's mm. two and a half months. That's yeah. like two, two, probably three subscription cycles.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: It's enough to warrant more money, which makes makes sense financially. It's just sad that
3: the it's same- gonna be,
1: quality is going to go down a little bit. I, yeah. I wonder what, what time will tell. Would you recommend this film to, to the audience? I mean, is this a reasonable good way to waste 90 minutes, two hours? It's not a bad movie. It's like, like a couple of weeks ago I watched
0: the Kate Beckinsale movie Jolt. And this is kind of in the same line as that jolt be a little bit more fun um not as good a quality overall but it's like okay you want something in the background while you cook or do something else there's far worse that you can do and every few minutes there's something interesting going on on screen and you're not going to be offended by it for sure at the same time you are going to forget it very quickly
1: yeah that's a uh ringing endorsement Oh yeah! (laughs) Can I can I take a sideways step from the protege event because we're talking Michael Keaton? Yeah, Uh, of course. And I'd like uh, there is a there is a movement going on at the moment, and I don't know if I agree with it. There is Mm. a movement going on to reclassify Batman Returns as a Christmas movie. Uh, It is set at Christmas. This is falling into a Die Hard. This is Die Hard opened the door, and people are now trying to shove other things through it. <laughs> um, and this is just because it said at Christmas. I don't know what I call this a Christmas movie. Um, is die hard a Christmas movie? I don't accept die hard as a Christmas movie. I mean, I know the people at CinemaSins on YouTube said, Well, they didn't mention Christmas enough times exactly to get it, but I'm like, it's close enough. Um, they they
0: mention Christmas more in Batman Returns than they do Die Hard.
1: I don't, I didn't count them, but I don't think they do. I reckon the word Christmas is spoken apart from the context of Christmas tree. Um,
0: they literally light a Christmas tree.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I don't think they talk about it much. It's more of a prop. And they really. say Merry Christmas. I don't know, but they did say Merry Christmas. At can't... the
0: end of the movie, Michael Keaton gets into the car, drives oh, okay, off, yeah. That's right. right. Merry yes, right. Christmas,
1: Alfred. The last... So, anyway, I don't really care <laughs> if it's a Christmas... It was... It showed at the Astor here in Melbourne the other night. Nice. Um, in a double feature of Gremlins, which I couldn't stick around for, unfortunately. <sighs> um. But, um... Uh, what a, what a, I guess i say it every time, but what a glorious, glorious gift that cinema is to Melbourne because mm-hmm. there be very few other cinemas like it left in the country, little in the world, mm-hmm. probably. it be a mm-hmm. few, but not mm-hmm. many. Like single screen, uh, Art Deco, it's a beautiful old building. Yeah. Um, And it was a great, and it was half full. So I got to sit up a front and watch it in the dress circle and watch the film. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen this on the big screen since 92. Um, yeah. When it came out, this is a goofy ass film. Like I don't know yeah. if you've seen this film lately, but it's a goofy film. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. um And there seems to be this narrative in in the world these days of the good Tim Burton films versus the bad Joel Schumacher films. Which, <laughs> yes, that's half right. The Joel Schumacher films were bad, and they mm-hmm. were certainly worse than the the Burton films, but. I think he's getting a major pass in this film. He he does not deserve like the first Batman film. Again, I haven't seen the 89 Batman for a long time and it's Mm. certainly not perfect. Um, Mm. Recasting a Joker as you know, Jack Napier, really, you know, um, and uh, that kind of thing. And it certainly has its, has its flaws. Mm. Um, But I think that film can be classes. It changed the game a little bit. It made that Batman character darker and it did kind of eschew, Campiness that we all thought of about Batman of time of the Adam West, yeah. you know, um, sort of character from the '60s, um, and and that was a move away from that, which is mm-hmm. what makes this film disappointing watching again the other night. that he's moved back towards campiness so heavily in this film, like it's pretty campy. Um, you know, the uh, I remember there's a scene at the end. No spoilers. it's a 30 year old film. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with the the bat. It could still be relevant with Flashpoint. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. The Batman beam has now turned into a bat hovercraft rocket thing
3: mm-hmm.
1: flying through the source. And he's got radar and he can track the, the penguins on the surface. I mean it's robotic rocket penguins is the <laughs> is the, 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 the penguins plan. It's to have penguins with rockets shoot them <laughs> in the city. Um and then the Batman can computer he can see the little he can see where the penguins are on the surface, despite the fact. He doesn't know where up. There. He has no way of knowing that that was the penguin's plan. It's very That's serious, right. Travis. It's very but serious. At the, at the same time, when it, when the little radar circle, is a little, you know, if you a radar screen, you know, the, the line mm. moving around the the dial goes, it goes quack, 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 yeah, and penguin noises when he's, <laughs> And later on, he, a little bit further down the track, his pe- his radar can somehow see into the penguin's lair and uh, determine where his um yellow rubber ducky r- ducky was inside the room, <laughs> and it has he has a picture. Of a ducky on the Batman's radar screen. Oh, that's something you'd expect from the from the Batman <laughs> West. Uh, or everything has got a bat version of. It. Like he's got the bat CD player in um, in, uh, in in the Bat Cave. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is everything branding. Well, I mean, I'm not sure anyone's going to see the branding in the Batcave, Cave. So you can cut corners somewhere, Bruce. was um, a real takes it all the way. <laughs>
3: There's a, real
1: air of, there's a real air of campiness throughout the film. And it's got a quirky, it's supposed to be quirky, but I guess to me, it comes across as goofy. At least now it yeah. does. Uh, yeah. Also watching it again, you realize, despite the fact it's become famous for Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, probably more so than Danny DeVito's Penguin, who is the main villain of the piece. Mm. Um, she doesn't have very much to do and her role is very confused.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um And it also has uh, startling and disturbing echoes of the Halle Berry uh, Catwoman um, film. Unfortunately, it's just that she gets thrown out of the window and cats lick her face and she revives with superpowers. Um, No, 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 no. She doesn't get superpowers. She gets
0: a a broken personality. And at least with this, you see her just... Going, kind of going through them all, and there's the notion, okay, you could maybe survive that.
1: And she's still twitching and everything like that.
3: She's so. shot
1: multiple times at point blank range at the end of the film despite being tossed through a yeah, you know, killed twice, basically by the, the penguin previously, and, and Batman, who throws her off a building.
3: I'm into like, a and,
1: <laughs> and then throwing into a glass house, which is made of glass. Which, you know usually cuts you when you fall through it um and being shot of an event shot at point blank range by 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 Matt Shrek with a very large gun um it's um I, I would pay it that I would have to call that and say she's some kind of superhero now But just a very even if we didn't get superpowers just the idea that you can be revived after being thrown out of a giant building by being licked your face being licked by cats cats have nine lives and she has nine... Like, somehow she inherits that, power, that that mystical power. Psychologically.
0: She, it's all about her psychological
1: ability. Oh, uh, no. She's I'm not gonna, that sorry. into the world. She's not just living on pure will. But the idea that... Uh, that of course, it happens to Halle Berry in the 2003 version as well. The cats <laughs> breathe into her mouth. <laughs> and, and somehow she gets cat power or something afterwards. Um, Which makes her really good at basketball. Much, she also knows somehow, also, Michelle Pfeiffer learns how to do kung fu um after after the cat sort of maybe it's like a matrix upload brain thing i don't know um <laughs> that's a ninjas it's it's a shame because I, I mean that wouldn't be a problem also that's really i'm uh, me being critical of the fact that it's really the Halle berry film that ruined it for this film mm-hmm. um but she's such an iconic the character and the outfit is so iconic and she looks like she does so well in this michelle fiverr it's a shame they didn't have more for her to do in the film, mm-hmm. um, and a more clearly defined role, and what exactly what a problem with Batman is exactly, and you know um, why exactly she's decided to gang up with the Penguin. It's all a bit murky. Her motivations pretty murky. It's a sh- I, don't know, I don't know what the problem was. Why they didn't bring her back, considering they they could quite easily have done so, considering it's insinuated she survives. Mm. Um, I don't know if she didn't want to work with Schumacher or if she just didn't want to do another Batman film, or if that she didn't like the outfit. Um damn shame. Um, because yeah, she, she was I think the best film Catwoman to date. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, as good as um what's her face was in Dark Knight Rising and Halfway. Um and we'll see how um Zoe Kravitz does in um
3: mm-hmm.
1: in the in the The Batman later this year. But mm-hmm. I was taken by I mean, Christopher Walken. Look, I love Christopher Walken. My goodness, he chews scenery in this film. Um, oh. He He'll is a movie where he doesn't. He's a little bit even. Even he's, he's pretty over the top in this film. Like it's <laughs> it's it's peak Walken really in this film, and I love him for it. And I'm not going to mark mm-hmm. him down for that. Keaton was a great Batman. Danny DeVito was a great Penguin. Stan Winston's um, monster effects for the Penguins were were fantastic. Oh. And so, it also, it, it just said, just, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to this. Like, remember when the Snyder Batman versus um, Superman came out? It was like, oh no, Batman doesn't kill people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, does not he? know? <laughs> he, uh, he straight out murders a couple of people in this film. Um, <laughs> he just straps a bomb to them and throws them up. I mean, like, he backs the car up to someone unless the afterburners fry somebody. And you're like, oh no. No, Batman's killed people before. He's still good. He's still good. He's still good. It's, like, it's just a, a fairly uh, a modern conceit that he doesn't. Um, so um, it's, yeah, I think it's actually, it deserves to be reassessed as being this is not the film that was, this, this is, Schumacher didn't ruin the series. This opened the door for the Schumacher film. Like the Schumacher film makes a lot more sense when you watch this again. You go, mm-hmm. oh, well, yes, he did turn the camp up to 11 in um, Batman Forever. But that was because Burton turned it up to six or seven in this film.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: he's just, you know, uh, continuing that trend into the next one. Not very effectively, mm-hmm. <laughs> and unfortunately. But, mm, yeah, the idea that Burton's Batman films were great and, you know, somehow were betrayed by Joel Schumacher. Not true.
0: I do appreciate the very loose attempt in Batman returns to try and actually make more of the Bruce Wayne element and have the Shrek character be more of a foil for the Bruce Wayne variant rather than just have it, Oh, it's just going to be the Batman. And then we're going to have these brief moments of a brooding Bruce Wayne as he says, Oh, I can't do anything as Bruce Wayne. It's like, Oh no, a megalomaniacal conglomerate man. Who's, Poisoning the planet doesn't care. That's good foil for a better Batman because the Michael Keaton Batman is definitely not the brooding um, Batman that Christian Bale, uh, Bruce Wayne that Christian Bale gave us. He is generally more optimistic. You know, he was in Batman the first Tim Burton movie. He was hosting a party, and in this one, he's going out and doing and doing Christmas shopping and things like that. It's like okay, he's trying to at least have the persona of someone just getting on with his life
1: a little bit and i, I like that about the keaton batman there was this great mm. was that great scene in the first one when uh, vicky vale and the other guy are in his um his armor collection because this guy is king of wicked people and he says oh it's japanese because how do you know it's because i bought it in japan yeah um, you know it's a little bit more of that in this film as well like he just have a, he felt like he was growing into the role mm. and i feel like keaton didn't do it again because burton didn't want to do it again Mm. Uh, I feel like they're a package. I don't don't quote me you know, if I'm wrong, Batman fans, but I feel like that's what happened. But um, I, he got that's out awesome. at the right time.
0: I think so. And I think it would probably ultimately was best for him because he, pro- if he had done a third one, he could very easily have just been typecast. Now
1: he he's going to do a third one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but this is like 25 years later. Yeah, and he has the, he has the Oscar already. So, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: Now he can coast.
1: <laughs> all gravy from here. Uh, I, I was it was fun to see it again. You don't. It's, it's a very different style of superhero film you don't see anymore. Fun to yeah. see it on the big screen again, and fun mm. to see Michelle Pfeiffer camping it up again. But mm. overall, I was like, wow, <laughs> I'd forgotten how dumb this movie was. Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> now, do you mind if I just uh, have some thoughts on a new Netflix movie? By all means. All right, so um, there is a new Netflix movie that has released recently and it is called The Harder They Fall. This stars Idris Elba, Jonathan Majors, Zazie Beetz, Regina... (sighs) I can't remember her name now. The Harder They Fall, where is it? Here we go. Um, Where are you? Was it Regina King? Regina King, yeah, there we go. Those are certainly the four immediate standout performances for me right now. Um, it's directed by James Samuel, who's um, also known as The Bullets. It's an English writer, director, songwriter, singer-songwriter and mu- music producer. He was executive producer on The Great Gatsby. Um, they Die at Dawn. I don't really know any of his work at all but this movie I haven't finished watching it it's an interesting one because it is a vastly majorly black cast in an old school western and that's something that we you don't often get the Not traditional true. western is very very white painfully white um, For obvious and, reasons, really. Yeah. Um, and this has got an interesting thing. It's The, the basic storyline here is when an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from pri- prison, he reunites his gang to seek revenge in this Western. And it's actually really quite a cool idea because it starts really well. It's a really good start. It's just this um, father mother and young boy sitting down to have dinner and they are just you know saying their um their grace and then there's a knock at the door and it's sort of like oh who could that be and they open the door and you never see his face but it's idris elba in typical outlaw gear with a hat pulled down and you just see the reaction of the father and he says oh no and he just takes a step back and idris elba just walks in never says anything and then he just walks through the house and just sits down and everyone's looking at him terrified and then one of the gang that's with Idris Elba comes in he's you see him identified because he's got this scorpion tattoo on his hand and he puts it on the kid's shoulder and the kid looks at it and Idris Elba never says a thing and just the power that oozes and the danger that oozes from this guy. You see it in the scene, it's wonderful. And then he just kind of pulls out these two golden pistols and just points them one at the daughter, uh, one at the wife, and one at the son. And it just makes the father just panic even more. And then he ends up killing the wife, killing the daughter, and the son is left behind. We cut two. Um, the kind of Present day of the, of the the Jonathan Majors character, He's a grown up kid, and he is his own um, criminal at this point. He's got uh, ten thousand bounty on his head. Um, his name is uh, Nat Love, and apparently these are all actual real people. Yeah,
1: well. it's, it's reading. Um, it. It's interesting that they've chosen yeah. to make it about real characters as opposed to say Django Unchained, which was just a
3: yeah. Like, really
0: yeah. And basically he goes around, he's he's not, he's he's kind of an outlaw with a heart of gold. In a way, he, his basic rule is to fuck over the bad guys. And he's spent all his time building this gang and going after all the people that were involved with Idris Elba, whose character is, why can you, there we go, Rufus Buck. Um, everyone in his gang. And he's not been able to get Rufus Buck because Rufus was put in prison. He He was sent to Yuma prison for the rest of his life. And then as the story needs, because it wouldn't be much of a story if Rufus was just stuck in prison forever, Rufus's gang break him out, not really breaking him out, but violently getting him released because he officially gets pardoned for all of his crimes and gets released, and we have this story that's just getting to ahead of these two badass motherfuckers that wreck people on this kind of collision course, and I'm excited to see what happens next. the um, The way that it's filmed is a little bit Django Unchained ish with that kind of like pop culture kind of attitude of editing with the music coming in there's some classic older style up and it's all very much your genuine older Native American or Black American older music there's no real evidence of the white man in this movie and it's wonderful because it's this whole different slice and it just puts immediately the music taste suddenly puts this whole movie into a different kind of focus and it's really good really fucking good because they are bringing in like what we talk about all the time whereas instead of just gender bending someone and just going oh it's just that they're actually going, okay, we're going to have all of these characters and we're going to utilize their ethnicity or their sexuality to compel the story. And that's what they're doing here. And it's really interesting. It's informing the story and it's informing me into this whole way. of so like, wow, I'm really fucking invested here, which I was not expecting. It's really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: The, um, the trailer here looks highly stylized. Yeah, like we're not going for a realism here. It kind of looks mm. like it's supposed to, doesn't look real.
0: They they definitely have the stylized violence to to a certain degree throughout what I've seen so far, but it's not as aggressive stylization as the trailer. But um, it's definitely there. It's it's shooting from the hip, so to speak, and that's fine because Jonathan Majors is fucking cool in this i have loved everything that he's been in in the last year and a half he was fantastic in lovecraft country i think he's going to do really well as kang um as long as they actually give him something to do rather than just lots of diatribe and so far he's really good in this as nat and oh idris elba he's always fantastic in this he's so reserved and he's just bottling it up he, oh, he's always a person who oozes this power this authenticity to everything that he does he has his a show.
1: presence on screen doesn't he yeah
0: and he's just bottling it all up and he's so reserved and minimal but what makes him particularly cold and chilling in this is there is genuine logic to why he's doing everything And it sells it so well, but at the same time, the personal connection um, that we have for Nate Love and why he's going after him. At the same time, you go, yeah, he's fully fucking justified. It's uh, you're
1: giving it high praise, and I'm almost certainly not going to watch it because if there's there's one thing that's going to turn me off faster than a musical, it's a western. Um, (laughs) Fucking hate westerns, like. and it's you know what it's probably you're right, you probably it's probably a great film. It's just that you know, occasionally you just like you just have that facade and you go, Oh, Western, no.
3: Yeah. Instantly
1: no. it reminds me of Saturday afternoons when I was a kid and there were three channels, <laughs> and it'd be, one of them was always a fucking John Wayne film. Um <laughs> Whereas I'm sure this could be problem. Movie. You don't watch John Wayne movies. Yuck. Um they're held in regard, but they're not good movies. It's interesting about this is if this film, I wonder if this in a, in a previous time might have been considered what not me, but what you might have heard it called a black film, you know, black cinema, like the Tyler Perry films, for example. Tyler Perry, huge star in, a, in America. Mm. I don't think any, I mean, if any, not many of his films ever got film release in the Madea films,
2: which, yeah, you know, yeah the character
1: right. who made his career, they never got released. If they got released in Australia, I never heard about it. I mean, yeah. they went straight to video here. Um, yeah. And even then, I don't think back in the day I ever saw the videos anywhere. So, yeah. If you wanted to see those sort of films you really had to go out and look for them just being it's an all african-american cast namely there are some very big stars here mm. in, in, especially in, in idris elba there um mm. and, and and the Wayans brother um that you know
0: i don't I know if I to...
1: qualify it as
0: a black movie like that it's I don't know how I would really qualify it, honestly, because the the characters are just so well done, and the the characters, who is playing them, and how how they're portraying them on screen, it it all feeds one one to another in a, a very well done way that it kind of defies branding, I guess. I mean, maybe. The, the stylization of it you could potentially kind of go into like the the really old school black exploitation kind of thing where it's like where you have blackula and things like that
1: but it's not that it's indB says action drama western which probably sounds yeah. like it really and sort of skims the surface
0: yeah um there's definitely more going on here than that but that is the kind of best way to to paint this wagon to keep the Western thing going. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see how this all comes to a head because so far, the characters, they're not spending any time just kind of going, oh, we've got to build up this relationship. You can They're just, every single thing is like, wow, yep, I get that relationship, cool, let's move on. I get that, cool, let's move on. All right, I see where this is going, show it to me. That's all I care about and it's
1: doing it really well. High praise indeed. And that's on yeah. Netflix uh, yes. in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I
0: do highly recommend it.
1: Um, I'm going to hold over on the unforgivable because yeah. we are pushing past it yeah. Three yeah. Hours, yeah. 10 minutes, And, long and I don't think I can ask anybody to hang around with us any longer to hear about Sandra Bullock. So we'll talk about <laughs> the unforgivable next.
0: <laughs> the unforgivable Sandra Bullock.
1: <laughs> and the unforgivable Sandra Bullock. We'll talk about it next week. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we can get people back to their lives. Yeah. Be people who are watching, people who are listening later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. ain't no longer time for that. <laughs> well, that brings us to the
0: end of our show then, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that has been episode 130 of Armchair Producers. We had a little bit of a teaser topic of adaptations, good or bad, good or bad, before going into our chain movie of the week with Spice World. Again, thank you, Travis. Um, I have chosen us to watch Can You Ever Forgive Me? starring Melissa McCartney and Richard E. Grant. So make sure you watch along if you want to. It's on Disney Plus, I do believe. Um, We uh, had a little bit of a talk about uh, Hawkeye and how it's meandering in the painful area of It's Okay. Uh, We talked about The Last Duel, Um, Batman Returns, The Harder They Fall, and The Protégé, so... Um, hopefully next week we'll actually have, if we both get a chance to watch it, we'll be talking about Spider Man No Way Home. We'll make sure that we keep up um, any spoilers to the end of it so that you can just tune off later. Otherwise, um, that's going to be our main big thing to talk about, I think, probably next week.
1: Hopefully so. I hope I, I'm fairly confident. I must see it this weekend because, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to say spoiler three otherwise.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't care about spoilers anymore. I spoil movies for myself.
1: <laughs> True. But I, I had this conversation with somebody else this week who doesn't care about spoilers as well. And I'm like, no, I, I, it, I just think again of, um, I, I just think again of, um, the time someone spoiled the, the force awakens for me and gave away the ending of that. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> um, that really, that really took the edge of that experience for me. So mm. uh, if you're lucky, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to get away without, yeah yeah spoilers and you know you're, you're a better person than me yeah
0: all right then ladies and gentlemen thank you again so much for joining us here live on twitch on youtube and in facebook um don't forget you can catch us in audio format on all podcast services around the globe armchair producers
3: is our name that is travis croft i'm george taren you have a good night good night